That and that's rolling. You ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go. All right, now from beautiful Austin adjacent Lander, Texas, the most prolific independent film and comedy podcast in the state. Normally across from me is Clarkson, but he's not here today because he has important shit to deal with. But I am Jim. My special guest Joseph bring you the film thugs movie show where we talk shit so you don't have to. How are you, Mr. Dirks? <laughs> I'm doing all right. That oh. just—that's the first time you're going to hear me referred to that way, non-ironically, on this show. Mm. It really starts out feeling like it's like a for real thing, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Like wow. Because uh, I used to, I was explaining to Ryan last week on the show that I used to like painfully build, like every Sunday I'd sit down and I'd recreate an intro. I'd create mm-hmm. like a special intro just for that one and do a special outro. And then I hit a point where I was like, okay, that sucks. <laughs> that <laughs> absolutely sucks. So I picked like three songs that I would do as an intro and an outro and I built an intro for each of the yeah. Those songs and I'd switch them out. But then I'd still have to go through audacity and do all this adding and shit. I was like, okay, what's the easiest way to do this? What is the easiest way? <laughs> do a live intro and a live outro and then just name it in iTunes and I'm done. Yeah, so you got tired of doing all the uh, <coughs> the big drum little China you had for like exactly, uh, yeah, three yeah. years. It just got annoying to me. I was like, I love this, but screw it, we're we're done. We're just gonna go simple here. Mm-hmm. Uh joining me, Clarkson, uh, as I said earlier, still has um Things are going well, um, but he just happens to be in a situation where if something happens, there's family shit going on. If something happens, it's going to be immediate. I've got to go now. So I just said, screw it. We're doing until shit levels out. We, we're going to have some guests sitting in. So joining me today is uh, the uh, president, CEO, head writer, director, producer, editor, and star of cinematographer, uh, cinematographer uh, sound designer, sound engineer, uh, color mixer, kind of everything for Stellatano Pictures International, Joseph Stellatano. Yes. Yes, the uh, former, uh, former student yeah. of mine. So this is going to be a really interesting one because you're talking right now. This is somebody who I can say I had a direct influence Overall, and him being here at all for many years ago. Absolutely. Uh, you got in my class kind of because they had to put you somewhere, right? Uh, actually, <laughs> the story is is uh, I wanted to be a comedian, and okay. I was writing jokes all the time, mm-hmm. and my counselor said, well, well, why don't you just try this film class? You could probably have a chance to be funny in there. Mm-hmm. Right on. And, hey, you got to do some fun stuff with that. And, um, you did... You weren't on the Full Metal Plunger, were you? On that, no, 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 no. I had my own Plunger movie. Yeah, you did. Do, yeah, you did. You took Plunger to the next level. Yeah. But uh, one day it was funny. We just started talking about spaghetti westerns. Really, I mean that that was the first thing that we really talked about film wise. Yeah. And I told you you have to see this movie called The Great Silence. Mm-hmm. And you were like, okay, done. And you came and you're like, all right. Then you started looking into spaghetti westerns and. It all just sort of dovetailed out from there. Well, I definitely saw the the Dollar Trilogy and Once Upon a Time in the West. Right, first. right. Those are the ones. Yeah, you'd seen those and we talked about those. And I was like, there are some that are lesser known that are, in a lot of ways, better. Yeah, the Sergio Corbucci ones. Corbucci's a badass. Yeah. Corbucci's an absolute badass. Uh, so. Fistful of Dollars, I really don't think it's that good. Now, Fistful's a tough one to get through. I, I personally think it's the weakest in the group. Oh, um, it, without question. But I think um, you know, for a few Dollars Morris... An un- un- 
uh, forgotten and it's a oh, crime. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's it definitely is the kind of overlooked one just because. Yeah. I, it's weird because I. It, the second one is not good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, it's exactly, exactly. It got it just got swallowed by that monsoon. But it, the thing too is, and this is going to sound weird, but I think you'll get it, it. Its title is the least inspiring. It's the least cool title, you know. Yeah. Fistful of dollars for a few dollars more. Who knows what the fuck that is? But it doesn't <laughs> sound interesting. Fistful of dollars. That's like shit. Yeah. I want to see that film. That sounds badass. Yeah. Uh, and. Fistful of Dollars is hard to understand. It really is. It I mean, really, really I mean, is. I've seen Fistful of Dollars three times. Uh-huh. After the second time I watched uh, Yojimbo, and it was, right. I understood it immediately. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. after watching Fistful of Dollars again, I still don't understand what Fistful of Dollars is yeah, about. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like Bullet. Yeah. It's one that you just sort of accept as being great, but you anybody who watches Bullet and is like, that movie made sense to me yeah. is a liar because no, that movie does not make sense to anyone. Well, I just think of that uh, fistful was just <coughs> mm. Leone still learning how to make a movie. Mm-hmm. It's a good debut. It is. It well, is. It wasn't his debut, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was his. It was a good transition into a new genre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that one, and it's funny because I remember that was the one that I suggested to you, and a movie that I put on, like, I was going to do a list of movies that need to have Criterion release. Oh, by the way, we're talking about the Criterion Collection today. Um, oh, and I'm not trying to sound cool, the molds in the air here are still killing me, because we got douched by another set of biblical rains this week, and so everything, when it gets a little dry, (coughs) there's just a ton of mold in the air, so that's what's doing this to me. I only have one movie that is on my I really wish this had a Criterion release, and that is Face in the Crowd. Face if the any crowd. movie needs a Criterion release, it's Face in the Crowd. Oh, yeah. Face in the Crowd is fantastic. I actually like that better than On the Waterfront. Yeah, oh, so I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that completely, but it just never got the... It, it's one of those where... I don't know, man. I think it's... Uh, it's trickier. It's harder to, to 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 really grab hold of. You know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not as flashy. It's one where you look at it and you're like, oh shit! Like it's kind of network esque, except a little bit harder on us than network. Because with mm-hmm. network, it's this whole circus. Whereas in a, a face in the crowd, it's like, no, you're an idiot for listening to any of these people. <laughs> like even the nicest down home corn pone. Uh, Dude on TV, he's lying to you. He's he's BSing you. You are being manipulated, and that just fascinates me. So, yeah. But I uh, I had a, a weird moment coming up for my next Criterion. The next Criterion movie I buy, I'm gonna have to choose carefully, because I own 49, and whatever I get for my 50th, I'm gonna have to gonna have to pick that carefully. And I'm thinking I might need to add Thief. To the collection for 50 Thief, because yeah, great. then we will talk more about Thief. We'll talk more about Oh, and you can see here the process of my notes for the show going from this nightmare down to this, but still needing this to be able to make pure sense of what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. So let me run through. I didn't do that much work. Oh, well, I just do this because that's the way my weird mind works, and I just did it earlier today. It looks like much more work than it is. Okay. So what I want to do is I'll run through my entire... Uh, Criterion Collection because I can and of course as a true Criterion fan what's the only acceptable order? Spine number. Yeah. <laughs> Spine number. I have uh, Grand Illusion, Seven Samurai, 
Lady Vanishes, The 400 Blows, The Killer, Hard Boiled, Silence of the Lambs, Long Good Friday, Charade, Rushmore, Chasing Amy, Gimme Shelter, The Beastie Boys Video Collection, The Rock, Rafifi, Sullivan's Travels, With Nail and I, Traffic, Royal Tannenbaum's Hopscotch, Fear and Loathing, Stolen Kisses, Bed and Board, Love on the Run, which are all the uh, um, Antoine Duaniel, the little mm-hmm. box set, uh, Throne of Blood, Rules of the Game, Hoop Dreams, The Life Aquatic, Mr. Arcaden, which is such a cool idea. The movie is all right. but it's the not I- even finished. Yeah, it really is. It's not. The idea of it is so badass that it pulled me in because concept-wise, that's pretty damn cool. I really hope... Um Chimes at Midnight, uh, that I actually saw in theaters, which uh-huh. is absolutely fantastic. Orson mm-hmm. Welles' movie about Falstaff. I hope that uh, Janice gets a criterion of that. That would be so awesome. And I mean, that's the sort of thing that is designed for it, because who the hell else is going to put that out? Um, I have a Life Aquatic, Mr. Erkin, Days and Confused, Bicycle Thieves, La Haine, Hate, a movie I want to like so much more than I like, um, Last Emperor, Blast of Silence, Bottle Rocket, Paths of Glory, Blowout, The Killing, Harold and Maude, The Game, Following, On the Waterfront, Safety Last, Devil's Backbone, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, Foreign Correspondent, Brief History of Time, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and The Freshman. Okay, I don't have my list with me. I have some of them. I have, uh, I have Ace in the Hole, All That Jazz, Anatomy mm. of a Murder, uh, Army of Shadows, Badlands, Band of Outsiders, Bigger Than Life, Blowout, Charade, F for Fake. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. Nice. I've got that downstairs right now. Ivan's Childhood, which you watched part of. Yes, yes. Really Um, good, really brilliant opening on that. Yeah, um, the five, uh, John Cassavetti's five films. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Love Streams. Nice. King of the Hill by uh, Steven Soderbergh. Cool. It was his third movie. It's one of his most overlooked movies. Yeah. It's weird how that happens. Um. Kiss Me Deadly by Robert Aldrich. Nice. Um, uh, Leon Marine Priest by a John Pierre Melville movie. Nice. One of his nice. out of prints. Uh, Love Streams, Wings of Desire, Don't Look Now by yeah. Nicholas Rogue uh-huh. with uh, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a lot more. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's tough when you start forgetting. That's cool. That's why I made my, my list, because I, I want to be able to what I've got. My oh, and Vive Savi. Uh, see, I'm, the, one that, the two I'm proudest of are Hard Boiled and The Killer, because yeah. that shit is hard to find. Now, the Hard Boiled I've got, I have a funny story about. I bought it off Amazon back when I was, I bought it off eBay back when I was working at Dell, and it was advertised as a new sealed-in-the-box so I spent like 120 bucks on it. Mm-hmm. I got it and I looked at it and then the shrink wrapping, the top, the little sticker on the top, I was like, that's not the Criterion one. Mm-hmm. I opened it up. I took the shrink wrap off. Somebody had razor blade cut along that, taken the booklet and everything out and put a fucked up, like it is a fucked up, that disc doesn't even play. Mm-hmm. It's so screwed up, but I have it. Yeah. Um, put a <laughs> fucked up disc in there, put it in and re-shrink wrapped it. And the guy who sold it to me is like, look, dude, I bought it off a big lot of stuff. Whoever sold it to me screwed me over on it. And that, like, you know what? Fuck. I'm not going to send it back to him because he's going to find some reason not to give me my money. And I'm going to be out the money and the disc. So, but here's the thing the uh, Dragon Dynasty version of Hard Boiled that came out. I own. Exact same content. Yeah. 
Exactly. I mean, I, it almost has the same menu screens. Yeah. So it's like, you know, all of the trailers and his shitty student film, yeah. all of those, that's all that's on that disc. So no real loss. I basically spent a hundred bucks so that I could have a, a, a sleeve and say, look, I have this. Uh, what made me really angry is I tried to buy uh, Piero Le Fou uh-huh. by John Luc Godard. Yeah. And uh, what he sent me was the disc. Oh. The out of print. The out uh-huh. of print. It was, it's an out of print. So he sent me the disc of uh, Piero Le Fou, but not the case. Oh, that's. If you if you like Criterion, you want the case. Yeah, you need the whole thing. I mean, I've struck. I've stripped down my whole DVD collection to just the discs in one of those binders. Because I'm like, oh, whatever, who gives a shit? Yeah. I will not get rid of any of those on the on the mm-hmm. Criterion because that's half the point. I've yeah. got this thing. It's yeah, it's like, the collectible. I like to walk over to my Criterion and just kind of look at them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's the only it's the only discs that I've got like sort of on their own little permanent shelf left alone over there. Mm-hmm. So what we're gonna do here is uh, we're gonna talk about um, what uh, uh, just. The top, what we think are top ten what criteria. Are ones, yeah. What our favorite ones are, and the ones that you know that I think are the necessities. And what I did is I looked at the the criterion list, the data, and I told Joseph, I said, "Look, you can do ties as long as you're able to to link them together in some way." Because the number of ones that you'll get where it's a top ten, you know, Anthony Bourdain's top ten or whoever's there's like they'll have like two or three ties. So I'm like, okay, screw it. As Criterion admits, they're allowed to do that. So fine. And uh, yeah, I don't really have. I sort of have a a thought out order to them, but not really. And the one that I start out with, that I will start out with, I'll kick us off here. I have to put the Rock and Armageddon at the top <laughs> of my list for for a handful of reasons that I will now explain. First, I think it is fantastic that those exist as Criterion editions. Well, I, I, it, it, it's mind blowing that they exist as Criterion <laughs> editions. I think The Rock is actually a good movie. Yeah, yeah, but it's not really something you'd think criterion-wise, yeah. you know? Both of them feel like, if you've ever seen the website or the, one of the, like, the Reddit feeds that someone does of the fake criterion covers, mm. and it's always like these crappy movies, those two look like they come from that. Yeah. Like, fucking really? But here's why I put them on there. I think on a very basic level, they are... Like I think it's really cool that Criterion did it because on a base level, that's what movies are about. Yeah. Entertainment. I mean, those are populist movies made to entertain the widest possible swathe of people Mm -hmm. that they could affect with them. So in that regard, they are two of the absolute most successful films that are on there because, I mean, you know, we could sit there and throw out, you know, Pierre LeFou, all these different things to people like, I don't know what that is. The Rock, I've seen it. Armageddon, I've seen it. Okay. It's something that connects. And yeah, cataloging popular stuff, even when it's really that, I think is really important. And here's the thing. Michael Bay, <coughs> man can't tell a story. But dude has an eye. Yeah, for his visuals. Oh, his visuals are just on point. Mm-hmm. I, there's no... He, he is... One of from the from day one out of the shoot, that guy has been one of the most visually interesting filmmakers out there. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Interesting at first. Now it's a little cliche. Now you know exactly what you're going to see. You're going to have that awesome American flag with the sun behind it, so the colors saturate out. You're going to have those big sweeping awesome shots. At some point, if it's in Miami, 
You're going to have the fake Miami Hollywood sign that they set up in a parking lot somewhere to make it look like, ooh, you're entering Miami. This is, you know you're here. Uh, but on these ones, it was still early enough that he was trying to be, it wasn't just a foregone that what he was making was going to be huge. Uh, no, we've got a, hold on, it might, it's probably Clarkson's, uh, ah, here, let me pull that so that won't happen again. There we go. That's, that's for Clarkson's iPhone. Okay. Uh-huh. But it's, these are the two that I think, I mean, the, the Bad Boys movies are fun and all that, but these are the two that I really feel like he landed the most solidly on, you know? It's, and and they're, they're stupid as hell, but come on. You know, tell me that ain't fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, brings me to my uh, second one for entertainment goes. Um, uh-huh. It's going to be a Wes Anderson's Rushmore. Yeah, see, I put, I sort of threw all of Wes Anderson's in, but Rushmore, I... It's hard to argue any of his movies being above Rushmore in the Criterion Collection. Well, I think I might actually... I go back and forth between Tannenbaum's and Rushmore. Same here. Same here. Um, Do you want to lump Tannenbaum's and Rushmore together for this for purposes of discussion well, no. here? The okay. Reason, the reason uh. I put Rushmore is that Rushmore is a movie I put on when there's guests over. Yeah. I've seen yeah. Rushmore more than any movie on this list. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. if I don't know them, I know that they've never seen Rushmore, I'll always put it on. Yeah, it's, it's a fairly safe bet. I actually, I had a roommate. I've never had someone not like it. Yeah, my roommate back in the day when it came out in college, she had no interest in seeing it. She thought it looked stupid. I was like, I'm going to go say, please, just come with me. Please come with me. We walked out and she was like, okay, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Like that movie is amazing. And it it is one that wins you over fairly readily just because there's an... An easy charm to Max Fisher that's difficult to ignore. Whereas Tannenbaum's, it's a little bit, not hard to get into, but it's a little yeah. bit more dense. Well, yeah, it's a little bit denser, and it has a, a protagonist that's much easier to dislike. Because mm-hmm. Royal is a prick. And there's no, <laughs> the fact that he even says, look, I've always been kind of an asshole. That's, that's sort of my thing. Like, that, that he has to admit that about himself. It's sort of my thing. <laughs> it makes it, it it makes him I think as you get older you start to identify with Royal a lot more yeah. where it's like, oh man, I've been God, I've been a prick more often in my life than I want to admit that I've been. Mm-hmm. I really have been and damn. But they capture him so beautifully in it. They capture him so beautifully, but Max Fisher is it's weird because he's one of those guys that you know I would be fascinated in seeing maybe not a sequel. But like a short story as to where Max Fisher is now. Because he's the person who, from any movie I've seen, I'm like, okay, where the hell did that guy go? Yeah. Like, what, what did he make of life when he moved on from that small stage? Was he, you know, was he only a big deal because his stage was such a small one? Mm-hmm. Or is he somebody that when he got to open it up, really went for it? And... It's interesting to think, but who knows, man. And Moonrise Kingdom is coming to Criterion. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Which I'm definitely going to have to pick up. Oh, God, yeah. And that's one. See, I, uh, I'll i go with the one that I added to it in just a second here. But Moonrise Kingdom, that was one of those that I had been so horribly burned by Darjeeling Limited. It's a, it's a really bad movie. It's terrible. There's only one part about it that I like, and that is when Owen Wilson orders for everyone else. I think it's hilarious because I've tried to do that to guys. And if you want to see a f- male friend get kind of 
bristly. Like, what the fuck? The ultimate emasculation move is to order for another man. I tried to do that to Mr. Hillsman, but he knew what I was doing and stopped me. The waitress came up and says, what do you guys like? Well, he will. No. No. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was my one attempt at it, and it just got cut off right away. But, um, yeah, it was terrible. So I was really reluctant to see Moonrise Kingdom. Like, I didn't hate Life Aquatic, but I didn't really like it. Yeah. I sort of felt like, okay, Wes without a writing partner isn't really delivering. Yeah. You know, it's not really. And I will say, I liked Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think Fantastic Mr. Fox connected That's great. brilliantly. Great. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, I like the cute little touches they did with uh, substituting cuss for every profanity. Yeah. Oh, you want to cuss with me? Oh, I'll cuss. And even down to where there was graffiti on a wall somewhere yeah. that just said cuss. Mm. Like, okay, that's cool. Mm. But that that brought it back some, but at the same time, it was like, oh, okay, now he's going in the scene. Oh, and he, he wrote it with Roman Coppola? Yeah. And the preview had such a stylized look to it. I was like, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm. It's a really stylized. Movie. It really is, but they nailed the story so solidly, uh, and they had such amazing little moments. Like I think you know me, I love the little moments mm-hmm. in stuff. When he meets up with the girl mm-hmm. and gives her the flowers, and she doesn't even look up. She, has, she all of a sudden just gets this huge smile on her face. Oh, thank you so much. And it's such a perfect moment. I'm like, okay, that's what I love about movies is the little moment that you wouldn't even notice, shouldn't even be there. It, it was not planned. It just kind of happened. That's what I love about it. <coughs> uh, Grand Budapest, I was okay with. I am not. I haven't finished it. I started watching it and was okay with it, but. I have seen it once uh-huh. and I've never thought about it again. That's it's weird because it's one of those things that that's more of the response that I hear from people that it's like, oh, yeah, kind of. And uh. I've heard some people say it's like it's his masterpiece. Yeah, that's I've heard that, too. Like it's been all over the place, but the majority it's been a very bell curve type review thing. Mm-hmm. The majority of what I've heard has been in this like, oh, yeah, you know, it was a thing I saw kind of happened. I I was OK with it. Yeah. But um Going through all of the Wes Anderson stuff, the, what, there's one movie that's on my list that you can't have Wes Anderson without having Harold and Maude mm-hmm. on the list. Have, you've seen Harold and Maude, yes? Uh, yes. Is that okay. your number nine? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'll throw that as my number nine. Here's the thing about Harold and Maude in respect to those, the reason I brought it up with those. Watch Rushmore, watch Royal Tannenbaums, and then watch Harold and Maude. Mm-hmm. And, and tell me with a straight face... Hal Ashby is not the biggest influence, that Harold and Maude is not the biggest influence on Wes Anderson at that stage in his career. I mean, the, the visuals are almost identical in certain scenes. There's shots where I'm like, you could lift this scene out of Harold and Maude and drop it in the middle of Royal Tannenbaums, and it, yes, that, yes. Same thing with being there. Yes, being there, yeah, being there really does line up in that, and that, that's another Ashby, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. That was Ashby at that eight stage in his career. And looking at Ashby's history, it's the way I used to introduce it when I would show it to a film to my film history classes was like, this is a guy who's uh was like married and divorced twice by the time he was nineteen huh. or something like that. Like his his 
parents split up when he was a kid, and I think his dad committed suicide. It was just fucked up background. At like 20 years old, he went out to Hollywood with nothing and worked his way up. Yeah. I was like, this is that guy's take on a love story. Mm -hmm. This is that guy's view of a love story. And uh, we have a saying on the show that I don't know anyone who doesn't like Harold and Maude, and I don't want to know anybody who doesn't like Harold <laughs> and Maude. It's such a perfect, beautiful little love story. And in, in Rushmore especially, the love story in Rushmore, you can see echoes of that where it's like, yeah, no, no, there's everything that should keep us apart. There's no logical reason. Yeah. I don't, but you totally get like, yeah. And at the end of Rushmore, I'm sorry, Max is still making a play for her. Yeah. That's what I love about the end of it is even though he's got Margaret Yang, even all that, he's making a fucking play on the, Eng he's making a play on the teacher still. Yeah. And that's kind of amazing. Yep. So. Yeah. But those are j undeniable greats. All right. All right. So. To take away from that, yes, <laughs> we have number nine with investigation of a citizen above suspicion. Now, this I've watched parts of, and I've seen like the preview, and the way you describe it is so perfect. It's about a police a police guy, a detective, right? Yeah, a Roman police officer. Roman police officer who kills his girlfriend and keeps confessing to people who don't believe him. Yes. He like just and and he's not like oh I did it. <laughs> he's like yeah I totally killed her. And they're like. Sure. No, no, seriously, I killed her. <laughs> you. <laughs> um, I think it's one of the best <coughs> adaptations of Kafka yeah. ever. Yeah. Well, as far as a movie goes, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so far as Kafka goes, you're not gonna you're not gonna outdo uh was it the trial? Oh yeah, the trial with the, Orson Welles is one of my favorite Orson Welles movies. Yeah. Is it uh, wait, is which is the one with Anthony is that the one with Anthony Perkins? Anthony yeah, Perkins. Anthony yeah. That is as Kafka as it gets. Yes. But this one is very much, it takes the Kafka's themes of uh -huh. this, um, this uh, impenetrable bureaucracy, this contradictory movie. Right. Yeah. You know what floored me is I found out evidently Kafka is so overanalyzed that there are actually books of like memos he wrote for interdepartmental purposes back when he was a government worker that have been put out to analyze his writing style. In those, it's like, we need to calm down here. Well, I also feel that Kafka is one of the most over-glorified um, writers ever. Yeah, yeah. I like, well, actually, I don't think I like <laughs> any of Kafka's books. <laughs> I, <laughs> but, but I like I like a lot of the movies based on Kafka. It's one of those things where it, it's, it's, there are a handful of writers that I'll say, like, you know, I don't like anything you wrote, but I really like him. I like the idea, and I like what comes out of that. Like, I don't like the trial, the book, which I've read, but uh -huh. I actually haven't read. It. I've read like the first couple chapters. <laughs> then you were like, "Oh, fuck this!" But I like yeah. I like the movie a lot. Right, like Orson Welles' movie. Well, the movie lands pretty beautifully. And the investigation of a citizen ab above suspicion. It's uh, oh, who's the lead in that? It's uh, uh, Jean Maria Valente. Jean Maria Valente, who looks is so damn cool. Yeah. In that, I mean, he's there's this this handful of actors from that era and that area, mm. you know, the Italy France thing, where it's like, okay, you just look cool, you yeah. just look so badass, and it's so hard to reconcile him with his roles in the later Leone ones because it's like so clean to that just. Well, actually, um, investigative position is um, 
investigation of a citizen above mm-hmm. suspicion is uh, after. It's after them. Yeah, it's yeah. it's still so weird because he looks so much younger and more put together in in investigation of a citizen. It's like that has to be that 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 can't be. No, no, no. This just doesn't work. Um, but yeah, that it's one I need to finish, and it fascinates me. Which you know, since we're throwing out that idea of the of the of the the striking ones, I'm going to do a triplet here of killer, hard boiled, and les samurai. Les samurai, yeah. Because les samurai needs to be caught, tied in there. And I'm sorry, Alain Delion. <coughs> Back in those days. Oh yeah. Holy crap. It's just, that's where you get the difference between an actor and a movie star. You know, a movie star, an actor is someone you see in a movie, and if they're not in a movie, you're like, oh, dude. I have a feeling you run into Alain Delion from that time, and he's, you know, going to get something to eat. You're like, that, that guy's a fucking movie star. Yeah. Look at that dude. He just, come on, that's a, that's a movie star. There's something different there. Um, we'll start with it. See, I'm not as familiar with Les Samurai, because... It took me forever to get through it because it's so, I, it's so French. It's so French. I watched it with John Woo saying it's the perfect movie. It is the reason I do my movies. So I had a slightly different expectation going into it in that I was expecting this is going to be something I'm going to be able to see a connection to John Woo. And there really isn't any similarity between that movie and John Woo's. Not in his style at all. Not in the slightest. Now, the ideology, the the way in which the hero is portrayed, the manner in which... Totally, I can see a similarity there. Um, But it took a while to get through. And when I did, I was glad I did. It's such an exact film. Well, Melville, and a lot of French directors, he had the... um a dedication to minimalism. Exactly, yeah. Whereas John yeah. Woo was basically maximalist. Oh, God, yeah. John Woo is like um, <laughs> when uh, Iggy Pop remixed one of the Stooges albums, yeah. he was like, I just want yeah. everything in red. I just yeah. want all of it in red. John Woo, especially with the killer and hard-boiled, fucking everything was in red. Yeah. I know those movies really well. I know those movies really well. Here's the thing. I think The Killer is a better movie. I think Hard Boiled is a better action movie. Yes. You throw the constraint of that genre on it. I don't know if there's ever going to be a better action movie yeah. than Hard Boiled. The gunfights are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's the most jarring. What the shit? I mean, there's a moment in this movie, for those who haven't seen it, that requires. Chalion Fat's the one who does the draw and shoots the bullet, right? When they're, they're locked inside that room and they screw the thing off with handcuffs, fill it with gunpowder, and put a bullet in it. Maybe. I haven't seen... I've seen Hard Boiled only once. Oh, okay. I've seen okay. Killer maybe like four times. Mm. Well, one of the main guys, and I believe it's Chow Yun-Fat, or it could be Tony Long, hell if I know, has to quick draw, fire across the room, and hit the back of a bullet that's been lodged in this pipe to make it blow up. And he does it, and you just... Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Totally believe it, of course. Of course that happened. Um, the gunfights in this are incredible. There's the guy who uses the one-shot hunting pistol. So you've got people just diving around, firing like crazy, and a dude's got this slightly long-barreled pistol that breech loads. It pops in half, ejects a bullet, drops a bullet in, click, boom. Try, and yet you totally believe he is going through this machine gun and explosion-riddled nightmare 
one bullet at a time. That's who that motherfucker is. For those who've seen Hard Target, Lance Henriksen using that pistol is based off this guy from Hard Boiled. Yes. Hard Boiled is insanity from beginning to end. So I'm not going to ask you whether whether Killer versus Le Samurai, but what about Deer Hunter versus Bullet in the Head? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Deer Hunter is a better movie. But I'll watch Bullet in the Head over and over again. Because yeah. Bullet in the Head is, again, it's Deer Hunter with literally, like, from Risky Business, when Tom Cruise just pushes all of the things on the equalizer up to 10. Yes. And he's like, fuck it, we're, this is what we're doing. It's going to sound like crap, but holy shit. Yeah. And I, see, here's why I, you are going to envy me ever so much. Back when I was at UT... <clears throat> they had a really amazing student union film program, and it was run by the Asian Students Association. Yeah. So they had this pipeline of stuff coming out of Hong Kong that was unbelievable. And you could go almost every night of the week and see a double or triple feature for like 5 or $6. Awesome. And I'm talking like one night I saw Bullet in the Head, A Better Tomorrow, and it was either the killer and hard or hard boiled. Uh, another night they had, you know, uh, Jet Li's Legend of Fung Saiyuk, Part One, Part Two, and the Tai Chi Master as a tri- all the time. And they had two theaters, so they were literally every night five to six movies playing that you could go see for five dollars. It was so. Of course, the university's like that sounds like student enrichment. Fuck that. Yeah. Gone. We need another Wendy's. So it was just done. But <coughs> the the education I got from doing that, seeing Bullet in the Head in the theater is kind of an amazing experience because oh, yeah. this, what the fuck is this in this goddamn lunatic doing? Yeah. This is amazing. And it kept going and going. And it was one of those things that that, that dude with the cigars that would blow up, that, that kind of Asian James Bond guy who just rolls in and wrecks shit. <laughs> I, I get that The Deer Hunter is a better movie. Genuinely is, but my God, Bullet in the Head. That movie's fun as hell. Yeah. Now I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's great. Oh, hell yeah, but it's, it's, it's bananas. Yeah. It's absolute bananas. Now, when we jump back and go to The Killer, that is one of those movies that when folks talk about depth in action movies... You don't get deeper than what's going on in the killing, the, yeah. the killer. That's where John Woo's Catholicism really comes into it. Because mm-hmm. the movie is basically, for those who've never seen it, stop listening and go watch the goddamn killer. Yeah. Um, Chow Yun Fat plays the ultimate Chow Yun Fat. He yeah. really does. It's he is a killer. He's a contract killer. Who it's he is like all the cast of Ocean's Eleven in one guy. He looks cooler than you, dresses cooler than you. He's calm, he's confident, all that. He does a killing that is badass to begin to begin the movie. Some of the best choreograph action ever. But while he's doing it, fires a gun. As this the singer in this club is walking down the hallway through the still one of the best openings. Oh God, yeah. He fires a gun and the muzzle flare goes off right in front right in front of her eyes and blinds her. And he is destroyed with guilt for that. So he starts, you know, like following her to make sure she's okay. Then he ends up helping her out and decides, oh, she, she, her vision can be saved. I'm going to do a job to get the money Mm -hmm. to fix her vision. And then, of course, because it's Hong Kong, honor becomes involved and shit goes crazy. And 
It's fucking awesome. Yes. Uh, you you bring in the cop in that weird striped suit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and depending on what translation you get, like he enters into the scene and like they're holding guns on each other and she walks in the room and they're like, oh no, this is an old friend of mine from yeah. when I was a kid. And depending on the version you've seen, who did the translation, their nicknames for each other were either uh, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck or uh, Dumbass and Shithead, hmm. depending entirely on which version you get. Um, in like the shittier ones, it's, it's, the, it's the Dumbass and Shithead. Yeah. Um, although I still think my favorite moment for Chalian Fat, that is sort of a, my favorite lost in translation moment from any Chalian Fat movie is from Better Tomorrow 2 when he does the whole thing about the rice being his family. When they're in that, the restaurant in Chicago and the gang's are, this is fucking terrible and starts throwing food around and he's like, you did the rice, the rice of my family. Like, what the fuck? Dude, you are being racist right now, Mr. Fat. You are being racist. Um, Better Tomorrow 2 is a whole nother conversation. Oh, God, yeah. Better Tomorrow 2 is... I like Better Tomorrow 1 a lot. <laughs> Better Tomorrow 1 is great. Better Tomorrow 2 is like, if you're a little drunk and not thinking at all about what's happening, yeah. it's it's a damn good time. But at the minute rational thought enters in, it's like, this is the greatest massacre in history mm. ever perpetrated by two human beings. Like 200 people die in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and almost all of them are killed by your two leads. Yes. It's bizarre, but like... There is so much going on thematically in The Killer. I mean, that the ideas of guilt, the idea of redemption. I mean, even down to the, you know, the, the whole bit with, you know, at the end, with them crawling around on the ground. But Spoiler alert for a movie that came out 25 years ago. Um, they're blinded and can't find each other. It's like, oh, God, John. Did the Pope himself ask you to make this movie? Could you be more Catholic right now? But it is brilliant, wonderful, just amazing. Like, shows what you can do with that genre of action, you know? Lay Samurai, also pretty good. Awesome. It is. It is. It's very, very French, though. Like, I've, I don't think you can really enjoy Lay Samurai unless you're sitting there smoking the whole time. Like, you just have to be sitting there smoking with a really strong coffee. Like, mm, yeah. It's fine. Mm. <laughs> okay, so... I'm going to come to an animated film oh. called Watership Down. Uh, that, just from watching the preview that they have on the Criterion website, I was like, what kind of hot nightmare is this? <laughs> it is oh terrifying. It is terrifying watching it 20. Mm. It's like, <laughs> like, that's one I can imagine. That is, that is one of those things I can imagine a parent being like, oh, it's got cartoon bunnies in it. I'll just show it to the kids tonight. And how quickly that would go awry. How horrifying that would be. Fields of blood hazel. <laughs> <laughs> it honestly, it's the kind of movie that I, like, we joke many times on the show about Clarkson not so much having a family, but a group of people who just experimented. Like, oh, let's see what happens if we show, you know, a six-year-old The Shining by himself. <laughs> we'll just leave him in the room with that, you know? Oh, yeah, well, what happens if we show him aliens at the back? Like, he just has seen... Sh- that is the sort of thing I could imagine, like one of his 
cousins or somebody babysitting him one night. Like, yeah, no, you're going to watch Watership Down four times in a row. Here's a lot of coffee. Good, well, good day. Well, the plot of Watership Down, uh-huh. um, it has a lot of the uh, Greek myths of a um, sort of like a uh, a group trying to find a new home mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the um, the destruction of their warren is predicted by a. Uh, if I keep talking with movies, it's going to sound more and more insane. <laughs> Do it. Are you? They made it. Yeah. Okay. So. So this. Um, So there's this uh, weak rabbit runt called Fiverr who who um, who sees an apocalypse coming to their Warren uh, in the way of their um, Warren being torn up by humans invading in, invading okay. in, building up a uh, a uh, suburbia. Okay. So they decided to depart and uh, find a new Warren because they're mm. going to find, and uh, only some of them do. And uh, there's this really awful, awful scene of these rabbits. Getting um <coughs> in the warren, getting um all the dirt closing in, them all suffocating. Oh Jesus! Really graphic, <laughs> terrible scene. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> you're just sitting here like, okay, where the fuck do I go from a group of bunnies getting suffocated under the collapsed earth? <laughs> well, one of the more terrifying scenes, saying <coughs> something, is when they go to a famous scene called Cowslips Warren. Mm-hmm. Where there are these rabbits that are being fed by the, um, by basically a, uh, a farmer who, uh, who gives them a lot of food, but he also puts snares everywhere. So, oh God. So cowslip, they want them to all come because, uh, because the more bunnies there, the less chance they have of dying. Okay. Wow. So it's this really, like, like this complacency, this really <laughs> disturbing thing. Toy Story Three nightmare. Of, yeah, a yeah, lot like that. Bas- your grist. Basically that, except not made like with lots of blood and right. Have watching a a bunny suffocate for a good <laughs> minute and a half. Oh God! Uh, yeah, just the pre because it's that weird sort of watercolory animation. So yeah. it's got a very kind of dreamy, like ah oh, type type vibe to it. But I think it's a great movie. It's really artfully done. Really. Right. It's the most artful bunny suffocation on film for the money. <laughs> well, Martin Rosen. He made two movies, two anime movies, one called Watership Down and a lesser movie called The Plague Dogs, which is not yeah. in, um... That sounds terrifying, given what you've told me already. The Plague Dogs is is the most disturbing, bleak thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Bunny suffocation notwithstanding. Oh, well, well... I'm writing it down, because I might have to... I might have to exp- Look into this. The Plague Dogs. I don't recommend. It's a great movie, but uh, it's 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 really dark. It's about these animals that get these two dogs escape from a um, an animal uh, experimentation place. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's great there. Um, <laughs> so, so you know they escape from a crematory right in the last second oh, after Jesus. they find out that a dead dog is dropped on them. So, they, so yeah. So so these um, and then they get hunted in the wild, and they can't make it because they're still domesticated. It just it it just keeps it just keeps it keeps getting worse and worse. It's one of those movies that's like it's like it's like Grave of the Fireflies with dogs. That's Grave of the Fireflies is one of those that like I will I'll mention every once in a while in class. I was like, oh, so it's good. Yeah, so I should see it. No, 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 you should not. I am not putting that evil on you. 
I think it's a good movie. I am not recommending it. Yeah. Um, the fuck is wrong with this guy? What kind of an asshole is this guy? Wow. Bunnies. Now let's kill some puppies. Yeah, but Watership Down is a movie you can watch. It's a lot of disturbing moments, but it's mm. a lot of uh, lighthearted and... Um, a lot of redeeming qualities to it. Makes it makes it worth watching and enjoyable to watch. It's one of those movies that is a book I'd always heard about, but I'd never never read because I never had to in school. Um, but yeah, the movie just well, the, it's got a really strong emotional core. Yeah, that's in the way yeah. that in the the emotional core that only animation can really just pull yeah, out of you. Yeah, that's and that's that is tough to do. And, yeah. and so, like Gravel Fire, Fireflies, where there is that like. Oh, oh shit! That connection that can only come from really sort of removing yourself from what's happening and creating the alternate reality that yeah. the entire world of animation brings. Jesus, Ugh. yeah. But yeah, Watership Down. That's one I just remember. I all I remember was watching the preview in my classroom with you one day this year and being like, "The hell is this? <laughs> oh my god!" Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, and Plague Dogs. It's that's got an emotional core. It's why it works so well. Right. Well, and, and mainly because I'm the kind of person that likes animals more than people. Right. Well, and also, here's the thing. Like, if if it doesn't have an emotional core, then it it doesn't, it can't work in hurting you. You know, you can't yeah. be like, oh, God, this is a depressing downer. It can't drain you emotionally if there's no core to connect to. Yeah. It's it's always just, you know, that's what always gets me when there's, like, the cheap, oh, we're just going to kill everyone. Oh, we're going to... You've got to, if you're going to do it, you got to games of Thron- Game of Thrones it. You've got to, you've got to make me care so that I can say, Stannis Baratheon can go to fucking hell forever. Yeah, you know you have to build that in for me to be like, uh, I'm screw you. So that's uh, all right. Let's uh, move on. Yes, yeah, move on. Oh, by the way, what did you think of the finale of Game of Thrones? Thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um. I, without spoiling anything, I'm just going to go back to uh, something. Mr. Tolly said he always comes back. Yeah. So I think we're going to see that. Now let's do uh, a, a, a turn here from, as you were talking about, something that's a little more, you know, f- uh, to uh, some documentaries with three documentaries that I think are the net necessities. And actually my 50th might have to be The Thin Blue Line. Yep. Thin Blue Line, Brief History of Time and Hoop Dreams. I'll put those three out there for it. Have you seen Thin Blue Line? I have. I've seen, bat- I've seen most of it. Okay. It's... Uh, y- it's fantastic. Have you gotten to the end yet? Uh, no. Okay, because the shit turns. Yeah. Like, it gets better. The ending of it has one of the most chilling moments you will ever experience in a film. It's Errol Morris, right? Yeah, Errol Morris. Errol Morris is an unquestioned fucking master of the documentary. And part of it is with a technical innovation he developed. That is, um, what he did is, for those who don't know how a um, teleprompter works on cameras, what it is is they've got a TV that's sort of hanging parallel to the ground off the bottom, like a 90-degree angle off of the front of the camera. And then they've got this shield over it that's got a one-way mirror so that when you're looking at the camera, you see what's on the screen underneath it reflected right over the camera lens. But the camera lens doesn't see it. So yeah. you can look directly in the camera and see the words that you're supposed to be saying. Hmm. Errol Morris said, well, let's pull the feed from the computer that has the words and replace it with a camera. And I will sit in another room 
looking into a camera, asking questions that are popping up directly in front of the camera so that when the person is answering questions in an Errol Morris documentary, they're looking directly into the camera like they're talking to you because they are seeing Errol Morris's face right there. And he's got a similar outlook so they can be looking directly into the cameras, but they're looking face to face. And that's why there's, it's an almost unsettling nature to the Errol Morris documentary because it's somebody staring directly into the camera talking to you. And you don't get that very often. You don't get that in film. And in a thin blue line, for those who don't know, it's about a, uh, a cop who was killed in, in the Dallas, Texas area yeah. in the 70s. And it's an examination of the crime from every level, every angle, looked at every way you can. And ultimately, this movie saved someone's life and got a man out of prison. Yeah. Because it has a confession to the crime in the film. The person who actually did it said, oh, yeah, he didn't. How how do you know that? Because I'm the guy who'd know. (laughs) And said in a way that is like, holy shit, that is a person saying, I killed somebody. It's it's terrifying, but brilliant. It's, it's, here's what I like about Errol Morris. Um, I am sort of not a Puritan, but a purist. Yeah. When it comes to documentary, I don't like Michael Moore or Morgan Spurlock's work. Nothing to do with politics. Has to do with the fact that Michael Moore does Michael Moore makes movies about Michael Moore. Everything he does is how I feel about this. Me doing this. I'm doing that. And Spurlock does the same thing. Everything in a Spurlock movie is me doing this thing. Morris is more of that like uh, Maisel's Brothers idea, like from Great Gardens and shit like that, where, no, I have to stay removed from this. I can't be an active part because then I'm not actually capturing what we're seeing. And that's what makes it a documentary. Everything else is some level of propaganda. The heavier the filmmaker's hand is in front of the camera in an undeniable way, the more it pushes into propaganda and agitprop. Well, I think Werner Herzog's great documentarian as well. I think... Uh, yeah, yeah. What is it? Grizzly Man and what is, is another one? Um, um, Cave of Dreams. Cave of Dreams? No, uh, the one about the death penalty. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. I, I don't... Re- I, that, that one's fantastic. Really good? Really yeah. good. Um, Into the Abyss. Into the Abyss? Okay. Yeah, also very good. But Herzog... Involves himself a little bit. A little bit. But not enough that it's, oh, this, this is Werner Herzog doing this. He is, he, he, Werner Herzog's so insane that he can't be completely removed from it. Well, Werner Herzog, he does not have the cinema verite uh, idea. He yeah. has the idea of, I have a message, something I'm going to portray, and I'm going to tell you and convince you. Right, right. I am not here just, yeah. he, He's up front with that. Yeah. Morris, with that and a uh, brief history of time, his move about Stephen Hawking. Yeah. It's very much, I'm just going to step back and let him, this is his story, I'm going to let him tell it. And it's really fascinating in the manner in which he allows that story to come out and allows, you know, you feel very much like you get to know these people. You know, Hawking is one of those guys that, how the hell do you do a documentary about Stephen Hawking? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a guy who, uh, I still think, faking it, I still think (laughs) that he is, make a wish, 
that just went on way longer than everyone thought it would. And now we're kind of stuck with this. Oh, yeah, more of that, more like, of that stuff. Shit. Like Helen Kelly, you really believe that? <laughs> <laughs> you really believe she wrote that? You know, every time he leaves the room, the other side just like, fuck. God damn, wasn't he supposed to only live like 10 years? Yeah. That's 50 years. God damn it, man. No, I. It's a fascinating picture of a guy where it's like, I just, I just reconnected with an old friend of mine who is a doctor who does research stuff and is teacher at a medical school. And I, I think I would have to take like a semester long class just to be able to understand what she's a doctor of. Yeah. And I was like, sure. Yes. I, okay. I'm that dumb. I'm that simple that I'd have to, and that's what it is with Hawking. You could break his most, his most, approachable theory down into a way that I could easily understand and I'd be like sure mm-hmm. math magic that's all you're saying blah 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 I'm terrified I'm gonna go lay under my bed for a while and uh, hoop dreams hoop dreams hoop dreams just fit in there because it's a documentary I was reticent to do that because though I like hoop dreams uh, what it gets praised for I still think the the up series does better Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it gives such a broader picture of you know the life over you know a, at this point now a forty two forty nine year period yeah um, hoop dreams though for a very verite connected look at the lives of two guys over what a seven year period seven I thought it was just four it might even it might just be four yeah really interesting just to see how you know hell this is this is wow. And the difficulty of it, like the difficulty of the hoop dream, what yeah. people don't understand, like I've said so many times, the number of students that I have had at Crockett who are like, I'm going to be running back at UT and I'm going to play in the NFL. All right, cool. You're a freshman. Are you starting running back for the football team, for the varsity team? No. Okay. You're probably not going to go to UT. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mean to be an asshole, but you know, or you're a senior, you're a junior. Are you the starting running back? No. Are you the best running back on the team? No. Okay, you're not going. You are the best running back on the team? Okay. Are you the best running back in the city? No. Yeah. Okay, no. <laughs> and you know, even if you are, okay, you're the best running back in the city. You go to a Division One school, even you know, in any sport, still no guarantee you're going to be successful or be able to make the transition. The number of guys who... Even in the NFL, look at it. You got guys like Tim Tebow. Four years, he was at a Heisman no- nominee. He hasn't played a full season in the NFL. Johnny Manziel, oh, the greatest, hasn't made a full season. He has. I mean, the levels that you jump up with with all that are ridiculous. And basketball, shit, just the the insanity of that. Because if you look at the best, the best player in the NBA didn't even go to college. Was able to go direct into the NBA out of high school and has been developing at that level since it. It's holy shit. Like just trying to wrap your head around that difficulty, but these kids really putting that effort into it. But then seeing, looking at at least one of them and being like, yeah, he's not going to go. He doesn't have the dedication to anything. He's too distracted. He's too, he thinks he's good enough. In high school, he thinks he's good enough. Now, he that's he's screwed. Yeah. It, fascinating. It is that is one of those that's it's an event type piece. But I I goddamn love it. Yeah. 
Lots of encouragement from Mr. Dirks. Yes, well, no. Future encouragement. Yes, I'm very realistic. Like, look, I'm not saying you're not going to, but (laughs) I'm not saying that this is a pointless, stupid thing you're doing, (coughs) but it might be, and you might want to think about that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So, next. I have The Wages of Fear by Henry Georges Clouseau. Okay, and I, I have... cannot pronounce French at all. Henri Georges Clouseau. Henri Georges, that's probably it. Henri Georges Clouseau. Yeah. <laughs> I have that as one of my almost on. That movie, had they remade, sor- had they called Sorcerer The Wages of Fear, it probably would have done a whole hell of a lot better. Well, the thing, I, I would have thought Sorcerer is a great movie, uh-huh. but I saw. Wages of Fear right before it, then I watched Sorcerer right after it, uh-huh. so I just think Sorcerer is an okay movie. Yeah, it's an okay remake. It, it, oh, it's, and, it's, a, it's a good movie. Yeah, I felt that way about it, too, because I saw Sorcerer years before I saw Wages of Fear. I was yeah. like, this movie's the bomb. I love this thing. Then I watched Wages of Fear. I was like, oh. You know what it's like? Have you seen Red Cliff? Yes. Have you seen the international version of Red Cliff? I've only seen part one and part two. Okay. Don't waste your time yeah. with the third. Because I saw the international version, and all these people are like, that thing's a piece of shit. Blah, blah. I was like, no, the international version's really good. Then I watched part one and part two, and I was like, oh, oh. Because the international version is part one and part two cut down to like a two-hour and 45-minute movie. Yeah. So it just doesn't work. So I was like, oh, okay, that sucks. Huh. You, that, but it's a little better. Sorcerer does fare better. But Wages of Fear, that is... Well, Wages of Fear, it does a lot. It is a lot <coughs> better filmmaking because, um, uh, the um, in Sorcerer, the uh, Amazon has a danger in itself. Yes. Uh huh. Whereas yes. the uh, all the danger in Wages of Fear is all filmmaking and all these obstacles that come yeah, up. Yeah. It's a stark. And, yeah, and it's very more and landscape. All the, yeah, and a lot of the trials are more human than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yes, that does. Yeah, it does come across. I think they had an extra thirty minutes of uh of setting up for the for it too. Yeah. Wage of Fear cuz I'm no Wage of Fear 30 minutes longer they set up the characters a lot more. Yeah. Well they had to. Like and you feel when and you feel a lot more for the characters in Wage of Fear. Yeah. Yeah. Well they cuz it's weird they they like just to to make sense of where they are in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Cuz like I think that idea of you know Latin America some way out uh, you know village of the damned you know type yeah. place in Latin America. No, I'm not going there. Yeah, exactly. Yes, is a much more built into America thing. Yeah, because where does Wages of Fear take place? That's somewhere in Africa, right? Or I think it's in. I don't know. I don't know. It's a foreign. It's a more foreign landscape that doesn't register that way. I mean, I think it might actually be South uh, Latin America. It might. I don't know because it has almost more of a arid vibe to most of the places that they're going. Yeah, but. Like, when, basically, the way sor- Sorcerer begins in, you know, every village that a Western ends in. You know, where, yeah. well, like, Butch and Sundance, the chapel they got shot in front of is in this fucking town. Yeah. It's got that vibe of, oh, okay, that's the last stop for these outlaws. Well, Ages of Fear, it had to build that up a little more so you'd have a better sense of these people. Because I don't think it was as given where they were, you know? Well, all the characters in Sorcerer are kind of douchebags. Oh, absolutely. They're no kind of about it. They're all douchebags. Whereas, um, whereas the people wages fear on the um, more or less the um, the side of good on more more closer to the good right, than bad. Right. Yeah. Or at yeah. least at least centered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But yeah, the fact that I think the thing that killed Sorcerer for a lot of folks, I think it came out like the week after Star Wars. Yeah. Like right at this end, and a movie called Sorcerer, it's about a truck yeah. in the jungle. I still think Sorcerer is a good movie. Oh, Sorcerer is an outstanding film, but it's what you put it up next to this. It's, you know, shit. That just, that is, that's just picking on a kid, you know? Yeah, because I watched Wage Fear, then I immediately rented Sorcerer, mm-hmm. and that was the worst thing you could do. Yeah, you got to give yourself time to chew on it a little bit, yeah. a little, little, di- and little I mean, digestive. Within, within 30 minutes of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. See, I envy you in some regards with that, because back when I was getting into film, you, you'd have had to have driven down to the store. You had to talk to your friend that worked behind the counter, even if you didn't want to. Oh, so that's great, man. No, show me your sketches. I can't <laughs> wait. Ooh, your character sketches. Nice. You're making. You're, you're writing a, a third sequel to Escape from New York. Hmm. It's in <laughs> Texas, huh? And is Jake Pliskin his brother? Sure. Did that Should happen? Or are you yes, just talking? Yes, I know, no, no, no. Yes, that happened. <laughs> Show me your character sketches, please. Was well, Michael Wincott is his brother? No. I want to see more, please. Yes, that actually happened. It was a video store called Video Aces. Uh, and I used to... I, you never I, told me the story. Oh, God. It was this 24-hour video store on North Lamar. There was actually one that was down by Crockett, that bingo parlor. Yeah. Right behind the Taco Cabana? Yes, it was, yeah. yes. That was a video oasis for a while, too. And both of those places, depending on where I lived, I used to live that off... That was a long time ago. Yes, a very... Bingo's been there for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this was almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I used to go down and hang out. I, 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 just, I would go in, and I was the dude that spent a half an hour figuring out what movie to watch. And then after a while, I just got to know... Because it was a 24-hour video store. Yeah. And I, befriend, I, I befriended the third shift guys every time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd, like, sit behind the counter with them and watch movies and... Try not to comment as the guy rented 15 porns in one <laughs> shot. Like, that dude is renting 15 pornos <laughs> right now. They had, like, rent three porns, get one free. And you'd just watch people like, holy crap, that guy is getting a lot of free <laughs> pornography. I am, I am distressed by this. This is genuinely off-putting. Yeah. <laughs> but we'd just sit there and do that. And one of them, one of the guys at the before North Before the one, internet. Oh, yes. Yes, before the internet eliminated that wonderful segment of our colorful society. <laughs> we'd sit and uh, watch movies. And, like, you know, they get all the testers and shit like that. And so we'd watch things like, but yeah, one dude, he and this friend of his, there, yeah, no, we're, we're doing the sequel. We're, we're writing our sequel. It's our spec sequel. It's Escape from Texas. It's like, <laughs> oh, God. Yes, give me more. This is, this is Snake Plissken's brother, Jake it's an eight hour, It's an eight-hour drive. It's an eight-hour drive. It's, it's, it's <laughs> like most of the movie, literally nothing happens. It's, it's Jake Plissken, Plissken on a road trip. Right? Yeah, That's what yeah it's about. Jake, Jake Plissken <laughs> trying to find snakes somewhere. Yeah. I was just sort of shaking my head the whole time. like, this is... Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. You're still going to let me rent movies for free, right? Okay, cool. I'm going to take these weird, these weird things, and I'll be on my way. Um... <laughs> Very odd scenario. But yeah, that was where I first rented Sorcerer. Actually, from that place, I rented Sorcerer. And we, I might have even watched it a second time behind the counter with the guy while people were coming in renting pornography at 2 a.m. Yeah. There was a taco, uh, no, a jack-in-the-box right next to it. So it, you just knew it was like, oh, you're going to go get like a bunch of, a sack of those tacos that they sell there. 
They're, they're so gross. And the two for a dollar? Yeah, two for a dollar. Taco Bell. Ta- ta- uh, Taco, Taco Bell. Yep. God, I'm sorry, Taco Bell. Jack in the Box tacos. So bad. No. So bad. There's green matter in them. Yeah. We, Taco Bell doesn't deserve that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Taco Bell is high quality. Yeah. There is a beef type paste and some multicolored matter in this deep fried thing we're calling a taco because fuck the entire Hispanic culture. Yeah. Basically, is what they were doing. So. All right. So. Yeah. All right. So, fantastic movie. I'm going to go I'm going to go much lighter. Safety Last and the Freshman. The yep. two Harold Lloyds on this list. And what I love is that they represent the total different sides of Harold Lloyd. One of them is a straight up n- excuse for a plot thrill movie. It is, for those who haven't seen Safety Last, Clarkson and I have talked about it before. Um, it is an excuse for a guy to climb a building. Yeah. And now, when you find out how it's made, because I looked into it, that movie is a lot of camera trickery, a lot of brilliant camera trickery. He is never more than 10 feet above a platform. Really? I, in remember, that movie. You, I remember you telling me that I, he climbed up. That's what I thought. And then I saw a documentary where they talked about it. It's like, not only didn't he climb it, they used three different buildings. And if you look at it, the background changes. Like, you're motherfucking kidding me. Yeah, I know. Does not make it any less awesome. Um, scary as shit, but it is, yeah, it's one of those very typical thrill, com- thrill type comedies. Okay. Shit. The freshman. Have you seen the freshman? I have a lot more emotional going on with that. A lot more emotion. His character. There is a scene where his character breaks down in tears and I have never watched a comedy and felt such a, Oh dude. Yeah. Yeah. We've been there. I mean, oh shit. Because it's about a guy who was like obsessed with the college movies of the day. Because back then, apparently, they had all these like, oh, you know, the, the stereotypical raccoon fur coat, car, all this. This is what going to college is like. And he was obsessed with it and saved up all this money and went off to college. And all these dickheads just took advantage of him up and down and were making fun of him. And it ends with this amazing scene at a football game. But they earned so much of your emotion at that point Mm -hmm. Um, because they really, they put the humanity in the character and gave it an emotional core that you could easily associate with. Cause like the safety last, he's some dude who's let's call it what it is. This dude is just lying to his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm very successful. I'm very successful because evidently you are a whore who will only like me if I'm successful. (laughs) And then you have Jewish caricatures. Yes. Fucking Top-notch Jewish caricatures. Some uh, doesn't this have someone with like this guy with really sharp teeth at a diamond store? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like rubbing his hands as as he as he takes his money to sell him the lanyards, like or the the lavalier chains. <laughs> yes, yes. It's it basically is like Yamaka Steinstein's yeah. jewelry shop, and it was the the worst caricature. You have a you know the the black guy who thinks he sees a ghost and ends up climbing up the top of the fire escape and keeping his legs up because he's so scared of it. Like capital racism. <laughs> in that film, there's none of that in Safety La- in The Freshman because it takes place in a college back in silent film days. Yeah. So there really wasn't anyone but white people. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> um. But uh, yes, The Freshman. Very emotional for a comedy, but a really beautiful movie. Really beautiful movie that I don't think gets the respect and recognition it deserves. 
safety last it's always given me a kind of a fright because I don't like heights. Yes. It's very stressful yeah. for me to oh, walk. Oh god, in. yeah. The first time I showed it to a class in one of my film history classes, there was a girl, I still remember this. She sat in the front row of this little room that I had it in, and this was her the whole time. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Why are you laughing? This isn't funny. Why are you laughing? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's funny. She was terrified by it. Oh, yeah. Even if you're not scared of heights, it gives you a little, oh. Maybe less so now that I know it's real. It's not real. Yeah, yeah. But the, the effect is so seamlessly done because it's an in-camera effect. Yeah. It's entirely perspective. Really amazing stuff. But yeah, it's actually on one of the extras on the DVD where you see how they did it. Fantastic stuff. Okay. So I have Vive Sa Vie by Jean-Luc Godard. Okay. I'm not familiar with this one. Well, this is one of the... Um, well, Jean-Luc Godard is very hard to pin down because he's so different. And, yeah. Um, yeah. This is mainly a movie about an uh, actress who turned prostitute in a very French... Very lighthearted way. <laughs> but it, it's actually one of his more serious movies. It has a real um, core to it. It's told in 12 uh, chapters instead of a regular plot. Okay. As, yeah. And <laughs> Jean-Luc Godard is always one of the most French directors that's ever happened. Yeah, he really, yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't know his work that well. Because it's like, come on, Jean-Luc. Come on, <laughs> let's calm it down here. Well, Jean-Luc Godard, I either... It's Pat's Blue Ribbon. Yes, it is a Pat's Blue Ribbon. <laughs> uh, well, here's the problem. Big Flats, our, uh, our cheapest shit beer of choice, okay. is no longer available. Here's the be- You know what the beauty of Big Flats is? It was $3.50 for a six-pack. Okay. That's, that's magic. That is magic. That's 50 cents a beer. You can't, uh, you know, a little more than 50 cents a beer. But when you're able, you know, pull off a... Clarkson shows up with a 24-pack... And change from a 20. <laughs> it's amazing. So we've been trying to find just something cheap. And this is a fine, cheap beer ruined by hipster assholes. Yes. But it is a fine, cheap beer. Yes, but... Uh... <laughs> so when you took my class... By the way, he's, he graduated, what, three years ago now? I graduated in 2013. Okay, so yeah, you're two years is now coming up on three years out. So it's not like some kid who was in my class last week. Yeah. When you started off in my class, did you ever think you'd be sitting here watching me drink beers and talking about this stuff? No. no. You wouldn't have known what the Criterion Collection was. You wouldn't have been interested in it. But so Vive sa vie. Vive sa vie. Go uh, on. Go on. Yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> I like it a lot. It's a good movie. Um, <laughs> a lot of John Luke Godard movies I hate. Right. And a lot of them I love. Mm-hmm. And some of them I don't care about. I love Beef Savvy. I think it's one. It's 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 basically a perfect movie. It's fantastic. Really? It's um, uh, and I also like Band of Outsiders and Pierre Lefou a lot. Yeah, yeah. But I'd really recommend um, Beef Savvy. He also did shoot the piano player, right? Or don't no, you? That, no, that's a uh, Truffaut. Truffaut. Okay. Oh yeah, I always get that. I I always get this shit in the uh the the early days of the new wave a little bit confused. Yeah. And then he also made movies I don't like, like Breathless. Which is very important, right? Yes, and yes. Uh, weekend, which is offensive. <laughs> that bad, huh? Um, and then the movie I don't care about, like uh, Contempt or uh, Alphaville. Yeah, is but uh, Vives V really nails it. I love Vives V. Yeah, yeah, and it's basically it sounds like it's just a character study. It is very cool. much so. I can get behind that shit. 
Um, think about Truffaut. Mm-hmm. I love French movies. Right. I just do not like Francois Truffaut. I've seen. Yeah. I've seen a Day for Night, Four Hundred Blows, uh, Shoot the Piano Player, Jules the Gym, Soft Skin, Day for it, Night. He's uh, one of those directors that I Last Metro feel like I I should like more than I do. Me too. Yeah, he's just one of those, and that's so odd. Because until you really start getting into film and start getting around film people, you don't understand that until you do. And then it's like, yeah, I really feel like I should like that guy. Hmm. And he's, all the, and he's the guy who really loved movies. He had all the quotes for movies. Right, What right. it means to be a filmmaker. Uh, but I don't like his movies. Well, he was a savage film critic. He was, he was As a critic, he was banned from the Cannes Film Festival. Was he really? Yeah, they were like, no, we don't want you here. When he came out with 400 Blows, everyone's like, we're going to show this motherfucker a thing or two. And then they were like, oh, shit. Well, yeah, he was friends with Jean-Luc Godard and Kaki Cinema. Yeah, yeah. And they were both film critics. Yeah, dude, there's uh, one of the best books on cinema. I've got a copy of it in with my movie stuff. There is uh, uh, Hitchcock Truffaut. Mm. And it is, it's really what brought Hitchcock back to a lot of, you know, the auteur status that he celebrated later on with all the film nerds. It's it's Truffaut interviewing him film by film and it's in-depth discussions about each of Hitchcock's yeah. films. It's fantastic. Mr. Dirks, have you seen Suspicion? I feel like I have, but I'm not remembering it. The one with Joan Fontaine and Cary Grant where she suspects him of uh, being a murderer? No. That's one of my favorite ones. Really? Suspicion? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, it's great. All right. Uh... Um, I, I'm going to tell you this again. You can call me Jim on this show. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't. That'd be yeah. like calling my dad my first his first name. <laughs> <laughs> Would you call your dad your first name? His first name? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. No. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Thanks. Thanks. Make me feel so fucking old, you prick. <laughs> um, oh, speaking of characters, it made me think of this. I watched a couple, and I, I'm going to talk about this with Clarkson when he gets back on, but I watched a couple of episodes of Metastas. I don't know what that is. That is the Colombian telenovela based on Breaking Bad. They actually got the scripts, everything. And it is like a cheaper version of Breaking Bad with a cast of fat people. (laughs) That is the only way I can describe it. It's on Netflix. It is a cheaper, fatter version of Breaking Bad. (laughs) In other words, it is fantastic. <laughs> so it's like, <coughs> uh, it's basically a parody of Breaking Bad. No, you'd think, but it's very serious, and it actually kind of works. Okay. But, like, the, the, the twins are just like these fat, long-haired dudes. <laughs> they just, they look like they just got kicked out of a Tejano band, you know? They, they're just, ugh. It just doesn't work. Um, everyone in it just is a little bit off. But yeah, it's just a bunch of fat people, pretty much. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And the moment that I noticed, I watched the final episode of it. And uh, you know, it's that belt-fed M60 machine gun? Yeah. They got like a prop M16 that has a clip on it, but they also have bullets running off the side. And I was like, hold on. Columbia, you're not even trying. <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to look at you, sir. But yeah, Metastas. It is a cheap, fat version. I think Columbia would know more about weapons. One would. <laughs> but nope. Nope. They do not. Okay. Um, so, so I need to see Suspicion in Vis-a-Vis. Yes. Mm. And um, 
Yeah, I think Truffaut is a good filmmaker, but I just don't like his films. I, I totally understand that. I absolutely understand that. Um, but uh, some of the stuff that John Luc Godard did was genius. He's the revolutionary one. Yeah. He's the ones that, a French movie that really revolutionized cinema. Mm-hmm. Anything French fraud Truffaut did with uh, 400 Blows, uh, Louis Malle did before him. Right, right. Yeah. But Godard yeah. rolled that shit up. Breathless yeah. is a big deal for a reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to throw out, uh, God, I've got, I'm trying to figure into my mind how exactly I'm going to do these. You know that Kurosawa has like 12 movies in the Criterion Collection? There's a reason for that. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Now let's do this quick discussion. I'm going to, do you, uh, and I'm going to, I will bet money I know if you have a Kurosawa, which one it is. Rashomon. Really? I would have thought you would have gone with Akiru. That's tough. Oh, that's hard to do. Because I, <laughs> I, the fact that I gave you pause, because you've said to me on more than one occasion that Akiru is your favorite Kurosawa. I, yeah, it might be. It might be uh, Akiru. <laughs> now, and I'll go with you. So far as this, I think you actually have to separate Kurosawa into samurai and non-samurai. Yeah. And like Rashomon absolutely agree that thing is genius but seven samurai is so that is so fundamental that is just alphabet that is that is so much shit doesn't exist without seven samurai Mm -hmm. and it is the absolute epitome of how to create mood and how to just let it go although rashomon with that rainstorm yeah. Oh God, that does it so fucking beautifully. Oh man. But yeah, Rashomon and Seven Samurai, I think, definitely are there. So far as non-samurai, Ikiru is. That's that's the shit. So far as his filmmaking goes. Um. um yeah, if I had to put like a um, basically an empirical thing, I think uh, Rashomon and Seven Samurai, where it's are the best. Right. Well, let's so let's talk Rashomon and Seven Samurai, and then we'll go into Akira a little bit because yeah. how the hell do you not? The guy has al- almost everything that dude has done. I mean, you've got Throne of Blood, Ron, High and Low, Stray Dog, Rashomon, um, Jimbo Sanjuro. You know, Jimbo Sh- Sanjuro. Uh, there's one that I always forget how to pronounce. It starts with a K. Whatever, there's one, the one with the K. There's Kagamusha. Kagamusha, yeah, Kagamusha. Like you just keep going. Like everything this fucking guy did is genius. But Seven Samurai, for those who don't know, that is the basis of the Magnificent Seven, Three Amigos, Bugs Life, the village that keeps getting robbed every year by these brigands. Mm. I lo- that's what I love about Seven Samurai. Is they're, they always refer to them as brigands. That is such an awesome term. Brilliant. But yeah, these brigands are always coming and robbing them. They are tired of it. They can't afford it. They're, they're like, we're not going to be able to survive this, this winter. So they hire, they get enough money together to hire seven samurai to come and defend them. And it's about how the samurai integrate in with the village, like they're feeding these guys and how when they realize, oh, these people are starving themselves to death, okay, here's your food. Here's like they're for hire, but they end up having an affection for these people and helping them defend themselves. And I mean, you've got shit like Tushiro Mufune is one of those guys who I would cast him as me. 
yeah. <laughs> in a movie because he's goddamn Toshiro Mifune. He is so good that I, how do you not just respect Stem to Stern everything that guy does? Yeah. And it, it, it's a genuinely you know wonderful film. It really is. And then Rashomon. It's so funny because you look at these two movies so far as influence goes. The number of movies that have copied what The Magnificent Seven did, structurally, story-wise. Then Rashomon created what is known as the Rashomon effect. Yeah. Which is telling the story from the multiple points of view, having it be different each time, and finding the truth somewhere in the gray area where they overlap. The, The use of sound in Rashomon with the rain... Yeah. Oh my God. It's so beautiful. I, I don't even know what to say. It's, yeah. it's, and then Ikiru is one of those, it's weird. I think that a lot of even film fans don't yeah. understand that Kurosawa exists outside of the samurai world. Yeah. I mean, Ikiru is post World War II Japan. Yeah. I'm very drawn to character studies yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, so, it, it's and it's a fantastic character study. I think Ikiru appeals to me more than Rashomon, although I think Rashomon might be the better movie. Right, right. Well, what I love is the image from the cover of Ikiru. Just him on the swing? Yeah. It, it, when you know the movie, it's like, oh, that is so beautiful. Yeah. Because he's this sort of... Uh, it, it's not Mufune. It's... I forget who it was. I don't know the actor's name. Yeah. He's a damn good... Damn good he's actor. He's actually in more Kurosawa movies than Mifune. Yeah, it's just Mifune's... Yeah. Mifune, you know? Um, you've got... Um, he's this aging, low-level government bureaucrat who basically spends his days after World War II. See, the U.S., after World War II, it was a boom time. Yeah. Everything in the U.S. was sunshine, roses... I mean, chicken in every pot, a car in every driveway. It was awesome. Japan, oddly enough, not so much. Yeah. It was not happy good times in Japan. Uh, They were sort of screwed. And so basically, as a low-level government functionary, a bureaucrat, your job was to sit there all day and say no to people. Mm. You know, give them the runarounds for shit. And he's this aging guy who is, uh, he's got cancer. Yes, he gets, yeah, yeah it's a diagnosed with like a lung or some kind of cancer. Yeah, and, and he ain't gonna last much longer. He mm-hmm. knows yet. So he sets out to get a park put through yeah. for this area. And that's it. Now, Ikiru means to live. That's the, the, that's what it means? the translation of the title, yeah. And that really gives you a better idea of what it is where he's like, I don't, I'm not gonna have much. I'm not gonna be here. So I'm going to give something. I'm going to allow my life to, my, what my life's meaning, what's going to let me live on is this small thing that I'm giving to these people. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful idea. It's this great character study of a guy who's reaching the end of his life realizing, I haven't done that much. Mm-hmm. I really haven't, and damn it, I need to do something. Yeah. It's really beautiful, really beautiful. Which reminds me, have you seen Jiro Dreams of Sushi? I have. I also. Oh, it's fantastic. Shit, I love that, that is amazing. Hope pointed out, not a mention of his wife. He drove that poor fucking woman to kill herself, didn't he? <laughs> like, yeah, he's a guy who's taken four days off in a career that has spanned from nine years old to his mid eighties. Yeah, he's probably hard to live with. <laughs> oh God, I want to eat at that. Even though you know, 
even though I know it's his son cooking and his son has been doing it for years, I would be willing, if I was in Tokyo, I'd be willing to drop the 300 bucks. That's what's cost? Yeah. That is the base cost of a meal at his restaurant. I thought it was a lot more. Uh, no, that, well, it was like 3,000 yen or something like that, but mm. it's minimum cost, 300 bucks for one meal. I'd I would to- yeah, I'd do that. To do it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yes, that movie was awesome. Okay, so... What do you got? What are you throwing out here? I'm going to bring a movie by Steven Soderbergh. My favorite. Schizopolis? Schizopolis. Wow. <laughs> I watched that movie with no preparation. <laughs> and the only part that I really liked was the uh, <laughs> the conversation with the wife coming home from the day. Yes. Uh, boring greeting. Boring greeting. Uh, complain about work. Compl- uh, that was so fantastic where they stripped down the conversation to what the statements were. Well, I've always <laughs> looked at it as a writer, you can always... It seems to me like it's the concept of writer's block becoming a movie. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Sort of like what they did with Barton Fink. In some ways, like... Yeah. Uh, Although not trying to put a story to it. It's just, here, you got, here is writer, writer's block to film. You know, you got... It's like like a heist movie, like, who's the mole, who's the rat? Uh-huh. Nameless numberhead man. <laughs> Boring greeting. <coughs> nice. Write a speech for eventualism. How to write a, a, a good monologue. <laughs> Something that sticks with them, but they forget immediately. <laughs> nice. It's, it's, uh, actually, you know what's funny with that? It's what um, Brad Pitt says to Matt Damon when he's getting ready to go in Ocean's Eleven. You have to be funny, but not too funny. You gotta be this. Basically, they have to be this and this, but they'll forget you the minute that you exactly. walk away. Like that, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I might have to revisit that. I really might. Yeah. Soderbergh. Con- with this, some strange concept for this um, motivational, motivational speaker called eventualism. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Soderbergh as a filmmaker more than I like his work. And I do like his work. Yeah. I do. I genuinely do. But I like him as a filmmaker so much more because he seems like the guy who's like, this is, this is what I want to do. I'm yeah, working he, on movies. That's he, it. And he made Schizopolis for like self-produced. Uh-huh. Like he, wanted to, he wanted to make that movie. Yeah. I'm doing this. And he could have made any movie at that point. Yeah. I think right after that he did Out of Sight. Uh-huh. That's a damn good movie. Yes, it is. But the fact that like he he was cinematographer on Magic Mike too, right? Yes. Yeah. He's like, no, I'm not going to direct it. I'll just I'll DP, I'll be DP on it. Yeah. There are people talking about. I think it was on Contagion, them being out after a day's shooting, and you know they're all drinking at a bar and eating, and he's sitting there at the end. He's got a computer there. They're like, oh, what are you doing? I'm just cutting some of today's footage. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, man, that's so cool. He said the best thing ever. He's like. I could teach you the basics of filmmaking in like 30 minutes. It teach you how to do it in 30 minutes. Whether sounds, or not you'd be able to Yeah, whether or not you'd be able to take it from there do anything with this different story. Yeah. But I could show you how to actually do this. Yeah. No time at all. Yeah, I, I need to revisit Scatopolis. <clears throat> uh. I'm going to digress again here cuz why the fuck not? It's my show. Uh, it's it's our show today. Uh, I saw two documentaries from HBO. Mm-hmm. They're really good. You need to check out. One is called Going Clear. Oh, I saw that. When first, first Holy shit. That movie's amazing. Yes, it is. And another one is called Tales of the Grim Sleeper. And what is that? It is about this serial killer 
who've operated in Los Angeles for like 25 years. And they called him the Grim Sleeper because they thought that he'd stopped killing for a long period and then reemerged. But what happened was he was killing uh, what he was committing crimes that the LAPD charmingly referred to as NHI, no human involvement, meaning he was killing black prostitutes in South Central. Oh. And so the cops just, whatever, <laughs> they weren't even publicly calling it a hunt for a serial killer. People in the community didn't fucking know yeah. what was going on. It was this, it, it's insane because they finally got the guy. But then there were there was shit where it's like, oh, here's a 911 recording from 20 years ago of, oh yeah, somebody's, I just saw somebody dropping a body out of the back of a van. Looked like a blue and white church van. Here's the license plate number. Can we get your name? No, no, I don't want anything to do with this. And they were like, it might have been him hmm. making the call. The, re the recording was never released. There was no public anything. It was basically like, eh, whatever. Lightly investigation of citizens of the... Exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Except in that, th they left out the whole investigation part. Yeah. <clears throat> Until years later, public outcry from this that folks started pushing for it and they finally got him but yeah fascinating fascinating shit okay your turn right my turn yeah i'm gonna go uh since we're talking crime i'm gonna lump all of these together because i want to rafifi the killing circular rouge and the long good friday because why not because three of them are heist and one of them is just general crime now i think the killing on a structural level, is the coolest heist film ever made. Maybe. The Kubrick. Just because going into that Rashomon thing, it is, for those who've never seen it, it is a heist at a, car, at a, at a, at a, um, at a uh, racetrack that is told from the individual points of view, from the people that are doing the different parts connected to it. Yes. You know, so you see one guy do something, you have no idea what he's there for. At all. And then you see another thing 20 minutes later, like, oh, okay, that's why that guy did that. It is amazing. And it has some heartbreaking shit. Like that guy who was sitting in the car watching it, and he was actually nice to the, to the black guy who was working in the lot. Mm -hmm. And the dude was just like genuinely appreciative because nobody had ever been nice to him. No white guy had ever been nice to him, treated him like a person. And then that ends up being a problem when he comes, oh, I just wanted to talk to you. Get, get, get out of here. You like... Jesus, man. That is phenomenal. I don't know what, which one of these, though, so far as the French ones go. Which is a cooler heist? Le Cercle Rouge or Rafifi? I like, I like uh, Rafifi, actually. Yeah, Rafifi has so much style going on to it. Yeah. I mean, it is... The heist itself is, what, 30 minutes of silence? Yeah. 30 minutes of no dialogue. These guys have it planned out to where they don't even have to talk while they're doing it. Um, that movie actually appeals to me more because it's an American movie. Yeah. Because it was made by Jules Dassin, who was blacklisted as a communist. Uh -huh. So he went to France and... Made him made Rafifi. Yeah. Uh, he made a movie right before he got blacklisted. It was coming out in Criterion called uh, Night in the City uh -huh. with Richard Widmark. It was also very good. It's okay. a film noir. Okay. I know the name. Very yeah. good. The really good shit. But yeah, Rafifi, stylistic as hell. Yeah. Excellent nice movie. Le Cercle Rouge. That's one where the opening slows down a little bit after he gets off the train. Yeah. It's like, 
<clears throat> once you push that through that, though, the movie's fucking awesome. Yeah. That movie is badass. And The Long Good Friday might be the best British gangster movie ever made. Yeah. It is so bad. Fucking Bob Hoskins is a beast yep. in that movie. Ruining up Melville, uh, I uh, almost put Army of Shadows on my list. I did. Oh yeah, that's a that's a tough one. That's a tough one to. Have you seen it? Yes. Isn't it great? That's hardcore, man. Yeah. It's, well, because it's it's Melville writing about personal experiences. Yeah, right about the French Resistance. Yeah, I mean, and that's something that we need to have more of in this country because there's this idea of. Oh, the French, they just rolled over and surrendered and blah, blah, blah. I have a cousin. He's like a second cousin. So he's old. Like, and he's married to my dad's first cousin. So he's like my dad's age, but he's my cousin. And he is a brilliant guy. Brilliant guy. But he lived in France during World War II when he was very little and knew people in the French resistance. You do not say shit about the French being surrendering, blah, blah, blah. Right? Because he's like, motherfucker, no, you don't know what the French... The French got nailed because they had really bad defensive instincts. Yep. The Maginot Line is the worst idea ever. Yep. We're going to build this impenetrable wall with massive guns. What happens if someone sneaks around to the other side? Well, that would never happen. Well, it just did. <laughs> oh, well, we can't turn those guns around, so I guess we're... Um, the term is screwed yeah. on this one. But you can't be <coughs> scared of war when you're next to England, Spain... For, uh, Italy and Germany. Yeah, when you're in the you're in, you're in the shit, you yeah. are in the heart of that me that mess. Yeah, and oh yeah, it's really good. It's um, I haven't seen it, but from what I from what I gather, Flame and Citron. I haven't seen it. the one with Mads Mikkelsen, and so that strikes me as being a kind of in a regard a kind of spiritual contemporary because it's just always oh, good. We go. We got one job, and that job is killing Nazis. Yeah. What's interesting about uh, Army Shadows? Uh huh. Instead of the brotherhood and the loyalty to each other, mm -hmm. it's cool in that if if you get caught, we're gonna come and kill you first before you confess. Yeah. Yeah. That's like we're like we're talking about France, not talking about each other. Yeah, it's about the cause. Yeah. There is something greater than which, all of us. Which is very interesting because you don't see war movies like that. That yeah. Much. Yeah. It's usually. You're here for your friends. You're here right. for your brothers uh -huh. with you. And we're in, whereas with this, it was no. We're about this country. We're about yeah, yeah. We are about preserving this for something more. Like, what is it? Were they? You, you've seen it, right? Oh yeah. I yeah, don't want to yeah, spoil yeah. the ending because right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but you but, but you know what shit. I'm talking about. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And what they had to do at the end. Mm hmm. Yeah. It's no fooling around. Yeah. And and that's the thing that people always forget that in these scenarios. It's not, there is not always the clear good guy choice to make. Yeah. Sometimes you have to do some pretty horrific shit. Yeah. That's just how it goes. Um, and Melville also did a movie called Leon Marin Priest, which is also out of print. Okay. Probably oh, my favorite Melville movie. It's right. not even a gangster or heist movie. Uh -huh. It's a movie about religion. Okay. It's about having religious thugs. Yeah. yeah. Is it, what I hate is even with Hulu. With Jean-Paul Belmondo Ooh, as the priest. That's a good name. Jean Paul Belmondo. Yeah. What I what even with the uh massive explosion of the collection on Hulu. Yeah. Cuz the Criterion collection on Hulu is larger than their DVD VA, their DVD and uh DVD Blu-ray and Laserdisc combined. Yeah. Uh, the one the one that if I could get 
an out-of-print format, I would get Citizen Kane. Because that, I think, is the first thing that ever had a commentary track on it. Really? Yeah, there was a Criterion Citizen Kane Laserdisc. How the fuck they didn't say, let's just do a Criterion release on Blu-ray of Citizen Kane blows my mind. Because that's a movie that needs to have a goddamn Blu-ray. A, a Criterion, but yeah. whatever. Have you seen a RKO-281? Yes. It's oh, fantastic. that's awesome. Yeah. One of the one of one of the better performances is Orson Welles. Yeah, uh, Liev Schreiber is fantastic. However, have you seen me and Orson Welles? I have. You're never going to get a better performance of Orson Welles than that guy. That's kind of inaccurate because Orson Welles at that time was like 22. Yeah, it was inaccurate. But for everything you've seen of Orson Welles, it's like that guy pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Okay, pretty because <coughs> the arrogance. My favorite statement Orson Welles ever made about himself was. Well, when I was when I was young, they told me I was a genius. No one ever really said I wasn't, so <laughs> I figured I must be a genius. Like, and I love that my voice is fucked up because it's as close as I can get. Yeah. To that. Have you you've seen the Orson Welles commercial outtakes, right? Yes, I have. <laughs> His greatest work. <laughs> ah, the French. <laughs> Champagne. And you heard him yell at the guy about frozen peas, right? <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> you put it in front of a jerk. You show me any time a person can say, in July, and stress in, and I will go down on you. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Orson. He, oh, man. That, though, the frustration of Orson Welles, I can't even comprehend, that he hit the beginning of his career at the absolute highest it could go. Yeah. And no matter how good what he did afterwards was, it was always, well, you know, Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, I made this movie and it's awesome. I made really awesome stuff. Yes, you did, but you know, Citizen Kane. And Magnificent Ambersons kind of shit the bed on it. No, I didn't. The studio screwed me on I it. I saw what, that in theaters. Yeah. Like, it's kind of heartbreaking to watch that movie because you yeah. see it's, you see what it could be. And it's still a great movie well, by itself. The thing is, that's the story he always wanted to tell. Yeah. I mean, he was doing that thing back as a radio play. Mm. That was his dream project. Oh, dude, I feel bad for, feel bad for that, dude. I feel bad for that There's fool. some quote about, in regards to Ted Turner wanting to colorize Citizen Kane. Uh. He has some quote. This is like, please do not let Mr. Turner cut destroy my movie mm. with his crayons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was somebody who like this statement that he was on some movie at some point and they were setting up to film and he goes you're not putting the camera there are you like no that's they even did a thing that like cracked referred to as one of the most insane things ever where he did a talk show that didn't last more than like one episode but it was this weird thing where it was like a in the round where the audience was around them. And like, you, it was Wells going, I'm fucking doing something different with this. And in retrospect, he's like, this could have worked. He interviewed the Muppets in the first show as them, like, really odd shit. But now looking at it, going, God damn, Orson knew what he was doing. That could have been really cool. <laughs> uh, so, you want to go into a real downer? Sure. Bicycle Thieves. Yeah. <laughs> La Dri. De bicicleta. Now let's real quick cover something. 
For a long time, it was inaccurately translated as the bicycle thief singular. I believe that is in Italian, ladro de bicicleta. Um, Ladri is the plural. The proper name of the film is The Bicycle Thieves. This is one of those that I can't at all push highly enough. It is the quintessence of Italian neorealism. It is the just perfect encapsulation of post-World War II Italian society. It is everything that is amazing and heartbreaking about history kind of rolled up in one shot. Yeah. It, is, it is verite at its most exquisite. Because mm-hmm. right? non-professional actors stem to stern. Yes. Uh, Bruno, the little kid. Yeah. Oh, you've heard about how he got him to cry, right? No, what did he do? Oh, Jesus. You know at the end when the kid breaks down crying because his dad's, you know. Yeah. Uh, kid wouldn't cry. He was his tough Italian street kid. So the director, uh, the kid takes his jacket off at one point. The director fills one of the pockets with cigarette butts that he picked up off the street. Kid's not crying, not crying. And the director reaches his hand into the pocket, pulls him up, throws him in. He goes, you think you're so good? Look, at you're picking up butts off the street. You're not that tough. You're not that great. And fucking emotionally destroys this child and breaks him and he starts crying. (laughs) It's like, oh my, what the fuck is wrong with you? Only in a movie, only in a movie is it's like, so I I can't get the shot I want, so I'm going to destroy this child. (laughs) If if that in the movie would be too, it'd be too stupid, it'd be too crazy to believe. It really is. You'd be like, no, no human being would do that. You know, yeah. Well, it's like in Kess, the Ken Loach movie about the kid with the bird, told the kid that the bird was dead. No, it wasn't. Then, like 20 years later, the kid was, uh, oh, no, the bird was fine. We just told you it was dead so we could get the reaction out of you. It was like, motherfucker, I was a child. Like, what is wrong with you? Have you seen The Wind That Shakes the Barley? No, but I've heard it's very good. Oh, it is. Oh. With Cillian Murphy and the uh, Irish Revolution? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I need to see that. Because I love the Irish Revolution movies. I love that shit. Yeah. But, yeah. Bicycle Thieves. Oh. What I did, I didn't pick movies I think are the best. I put. I picked my favorite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going into. As yeah. I'm like, the ones that I'm like, these are the ones I think people would fucking enjoy and you need to see. I love these. Okay, so. That's why, Jesus Christ, my first were Armageddon and The Rock. Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> now that I think about it, that's true. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come out with Blowout. Oh, that's a good movie. That is the only version. I I, I think it is the best take on Antonioni's Blow Up. Because it was this uh, Blow Up and The Conversation. I think Blow Out nailed it the best. Me too. Lithgow alone is worth the price of admission on this one. And I like Travolta. The thing Travolta is one of his best Oh, God, yeah, yeah. This... Travolta is so perplexing because every once in a while he pulls out something that's like shit. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic, and he doesn't. He, does, he does not exercise a lot of discretion no, in choosing doesn't. roles. And I think it's absolutely De Palma's best movie. Oh yeah, yeah. De, well, De Palma is such a difficult one because he he's either a hundred percent on or. Uh, 
It just doesn't land. It, the beauty of just the way everything pulls around, the beginning connects to the end, and just the, the through line of it. Oh. For those who don't know, John Travolta plays a sound uh, engineer from uh, a film sound engineer for B movies. For B movies, and he needs some uh, like wind through the trees and an abandoned area sound effect. So he goes out one night and he's just recording, and a car has a a driving drives down the road, tire blows out, goes into the water. The person in the car dies. Yep, and something just doesn't seem right about it. And he listens over and over, and right before the tire goes on his recording, he can hear a pop. Yep. And so he starts thinking somebody killed this person. And that's kind of where it goes off from there. It's really good. Yeah. Um, there's some good human dialogue scene. Make, like, I think uh, Nancy Allen and Travolta's oh, yeah. chemistry, their chemistry is great. Oh, God, yeah. That was so dead on. Yeah. She was, oh, she was wonderful in it. Yeah, some people say she's a bad actress, but nah, there was, I think those people I think, are wrong. I think she's she just played a character that's really kind of I don't know. Yeah, I, I think she was great. Right. Well, this is also one of those where you've got Travolta giving an amazing performance and John Lithgow owning it from beginning to end. Yeah, and so that makes it really. If you're not one of those guys, it's it's the. Uh, um, you know, you look at The Godfather, and people don't realize how great Fredo is in that because it's like, well, okay, so you've got, you know, in the in the, the Pacino, James Caan, Robert De Niro from you know from the from the two that he's in, Robert De Niro, uh, Robert Duvall. You've got these guys all giving like performance defining careers. Somebody's gonna get lost in the mix. Yeah. And it just, it happens, you know? You have a movie that kills it with that much. Somebody's going to get overlooked. Right, so where I'm, are you? I'm at my number two, which I'm going World War One. How are you at number two? Because I'm at number, th- that, that was my number four. Is your number four? Hold on, what am I missing here? What did I, uh... What's your number three? Number three... Mm, you know... Oh, somehow things got... This is why I always hate lists. But uh, you know what? I'll throw in something fun here. I'm going to go with my the Beastie Boys video collection. Okay. Reason for that is it is some of the most fascinating look at filmmaking that you can get. Because the extras on it are incredible. The Beastie Boys did a lot of multi-camera videos. Yeah. And in this, they use the multiple angles to give you the entire feed from each camera. Yeah. So that you're able to see individual shots and then how they put it together. Also, they have some of the most amazingly creative videos ever on it. Yeah. Uh, and and all of this. Spike Jones did some work on them. Oh, right? Spike Jones did a lot of work on it. Uh, the majority of their re- well, the Spike Jones stuff is revolutionary, but a lot of the stuff that really stands out is uh, by Nathaniel Hornblower, who is a character done by uh, I believe it's the late Mike D. Yeah. Um, uh, not not my uh, the late MCA. Um, Really fascinating stuff. They had fun with their videos. They went over the top on a lot of them. But what's cool about it is you see the inception of what I think is the greatest concert film ever made. Awesome, I fucking shot that. Ooh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. But they did a show at Madison Square Garden in New York. And they got, I think, like between 60 and 100 people. (coughs) All different parts of this crowd signed up ahead of time, and were all given a camera. And they were told, when the lights go out, push record, don't stop filming. 
Yeah. And the video is, the movie is put together from all of those different angles. Everything from on stage to the pit to off to the side, all the way up to the very top. And I mean, they do their encore from the back level of the mezzanine, of, of the balcony. They go, like, they literally leave the stage, run back, take an elevator up, and come out. Like, stages here, they come out up here and do an entire song up there. And it's all recorded handheld by fans. It's awesome. And you see where that comes from in a lot of the stuff they do in their, in their video work. But I think music videos don't get the respect they deserve. I mean, really look at, you know, like the Michelle, Go- uh, Michelle Gondry has a video, has a collection of all of his videos. There's a Spike, Lo- Spike Jones video collection. Look at the experimentation and the really amazing shit that's being developed uh, technically and narratively and just for fun in these, in these videos. And you'll just see amazing shit happening. What's your favorite um, Spike Jones video? It's weird because he, I almost lean towards Wax's Southern California. Okay. Where it's the single shot of the guy running on fire. Yeah. Because the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Buddy Holly, the Weezer Buddy Holly video leans in it a little bit, but there's so much happening there. The simplicity of Wax's Southern California is so fantastic that I kind of lean onto that one. I kind of like the bizarre stupidity over the topness of uh, Ludacris's Get Back. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, dude, have you seen uh, the Get Back? Have you seen uh, the video Spike Jones did for Far Side, uh, where it's all in reverse? Yes, yes. That's I think that showed us that. Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, as as an example of a simple concept used perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, Jones, just the fun that he had with the videos is mm. really great. Actually, Sabotage. Sabotage. <laughs> well, wait, is that, a, is that a Hornblower or Jones? I don't know. I, don't know. I think it's Jones, but uh, the Beastie Boys videos, I'm a huge Beastie Boys fan. So, yeah, I go with that one. It's okay. really got him good. What do you got? So I'm going to come up with Andre Tarkovsky's Andre Rublev. Ah, uh, Rublev. That is one I've been meaning to watch for and over again. It's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it's about... Tarkovsky's really hard to pin down what his movie's about. Right. But it's basically, for the character, it's about this uh, the famous icon painter, Orthodox mm-hmm. icon painter, who uh, makes all these wonderful icons. No right. one understands them. He's kind of weird. Uh-huh. Then after and he decides to stop painting, uh-huh. he comes back to painting. It's really character study. Right. Long stuff. And but, Russians don't fuck around with their and long you know, stuff. All the Tarkovsky's talk, all the Tarkovsky's talk about religion and existentialism. Right, right. Yeah, really cool stuff. Yeah, very pretty. Oh, his shots. Oh, the stuff you showed me from Ivan's childhood was like, oh my that's god, that's the first movie. That's yeah, the thing. like holy crap, where is this coming from? Yeah, like after seeing some Tarkovsky, you watch a Terrence Malick movie, like, and this is this this guy doesn't know how to do what to do with the camera. Yeah, why, why is this so flat and ugly? This R- tree of life. This is this this horrifying <laughs> garbage. <laughs> Russians don't. I, I don't think enough people know how amazing what the Russians did with film really is. Yeah, it, it's overlooked. Unless, it's so weird that unless you've gone to film school or know somebody or really, really jump into it, you don't know that. I mean, I, that's something I covered with you guys day one almost in class, where it's like everything we do in film we owe to Russia. Yeah. They de- they developed the idea of how to edit 
of how to use a film scientifically when it comes to the theories of film russia we are in their eternal debt yeah and it's it really it holds up it's very true yeah russians nailed it but the thing about tarkovsky is he's very different than modern film language he's, oh god yeah he's uh, obviously he's completely almost diametrically opposed to eisenstein yeah to yeah. eisenstein's theories uh-huh yeah uh-huh. he's like all tonal editing yeah yeah tonal and overtonal yeah i mean he just goes for it Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really amazing stuff. Yeah. Amazing stuff. All right. Now I'm going to jump to World War One. Okay. Paths of Glory and the Grand Illusion. Yeah. Paths of Glory. Here's I, I'm, I am so torn. I love the killing, yeah. but I really think Paths of Glory might be the best thing that Kubrick's ever put out. Yeah. I didn't buy it on Criterion until very recently for the dumbest reason ever. I hate the cover art. It's really it's really bad. I mean, it's objectively awful. <laughs> I, there, there's no idea. It's not. It, it's just it's, like it's fun. it makes me laugh thinking about it. Yeah, it looks like Kurt Douglas stifling a really bad fart. <laughs> I, it's just bad. It's terrible, <laughs> and it's this unrealistically powerful film. It's the most brutal look at war and why it's like, why, like, you know, the, the powers that be, you're going to take that hill. Well, we can't. Well, you're going to. We feel like we should have it already. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's shit like that that I deal with at work where it's like, oh, we feel like you should have that movie done, done already. We've given you three weeks. Oh, well, in that case, yes, I should be done with it. Yeah. Um, we feel like this should be done. And then when the people met with unbeatable odds retreat, the guy who doesn't know what he's talking about says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. execute them all. Ah, hmm. oh, the trial, it's beautiful. It's amazing. And then you look at the same war from a different lens in Grand Illusion, and you realize, I don't fucking want to be there. Nobody on any level... They're just like, yeah, we kind of have to do this, don't we? Yeah. Uh, apparently, um, like, John Renoir's father was a painter. Yes. Yeah, Claude Renoir? Yeah. Yeah, apparently my mom had, like, a... Uh... Yeah, you probably have had some Renoirs. You've seen Renoirs throughout your life. Yeah, and apparently he's pretty well known and I'm kind of stupid. Yes, you are. I, uh, <laughs> when, I when I hit college and I heard about Renoir's films, I was like, you mean Renoir's paintings? Yeah, I was the opposite. Yeah, like, no, no. Renoir is a painter. He's kind of a big shit and deal. Well, I was like, <laughs> Renoir is a filmmaker. <laughs> oh, God, that's hilarious. Oh, his father painted as a hobby, whatever. Yeah, yeah, he, he was a hobbyist, that's all. He just sort of did the shit. <laughs> the Grand Illusion, honestly, is, uh, I, as I've said before, it is Criterion DVD spine number one. Yeah. And there is literally no movie that I would rather see with spine number one. It is gorgeous. It is a heartbreaking look at, I mean, the the fact that, okay, when these two guys, it's a prisoner of war movie. It's a POW movie. When these guys get taken prisoner early on, they get their pilots who get shot down, 
And uh, the the Germans who shoot him down are like, oh, oh wait, the yeah, invite him in, invite him in to have lunch with us. Mm -hmm. They sit down and have lunch, and while they're eating lunch, these guys bring in this flower arrangement that they are sending to the funerals of a pilot, that, the funerals of this pilots that they shot down and were killed. And it basically had this thing on it that said, we are so sorry. Hmm. It was not our intention to kill them. And it was just this weird, like, imagine that in a war where it's like, oh, shit, we, we really didn't want to kill those guys. Yeah. Fuck. Sorry. That's our bad. That's on us. Yeah. We're the asshole here. But th th that's even a consideration because World War I is one of those things that when you look, you're looking back on it through the lens of history, it happened because a bunch of rich guys hadn't had a war in a while. Yeah. And that's it. And it was terrible because, my God, the mind-boggling, inhumane loss of life in that thing. Uh, and, and the fact that it points to the idea of, like, they've, I've always heard people say that the grand illusion in it refers to the borders between countries. <clears throat> That's just an illusion. But I, I always viewed it as World War I itself being this grand illusion. There was no real need for it. There was no real... But they painted this grand illusion that it had to happen, and it was inevitable. And genuinely, on every level, it was avoidable yeah. and unnecessary as fuck. Uh, but yes. World War II, however. World War II. That, yeah, that was some shit had to go down. Yeah. Uh, so oh. I'm going to come up with number two. Yes. Called Bigger Than Life. Bigger Than Life. Directed by Nicholas Ray, starring James Mason. Oh, nice. I just saw Odd Man Out. Pretty good, right? Mm, great. Young James Mason was awesome. Yeah. Ah. Uh, you see that? Yeah, but... Bigger than life. Bigger than life. It's a movie about mental illness and one of Nicholas Ray's melodramas. He did melodramas. You know talking about how the 50s, the melodramas the 50s had? Yeah. Like, like Douglas Sirk, Nicholas right. Ray. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's the idea behind it? What's the story happening there? Well, it's about James Mason, a teacher who gets sick. Uh-huh. Um, and he starts taking... um. Some drug. It's, they use it all the time now. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, he gets sick, he takes a drug, and it ends up making him this manic-depressive person. Oh, okay. yeah. Shit. <laughs> um, uh. But he gets sick with, like, a stomach virus. Something, right, right. right. Um, so he starts uh, going crazy, doing this manic-depressive stuff, starts uh, yelling at his son for not catching the football. A lot of uh, tries to kill his son because it says the Bible how Abraham tried to kill his son. Okay. Great okay. stuff. Yeah. Real, of, real family of, stuff, yeah. A lot of fun happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bigger than life. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Definitely got to check that it's out. It's very overlooked because it's basically Nicholas Ray's um, face in the crowd. Okay. Because Rebel uh, had a cause that had James Dean. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. On the waterfront had a Marlon Brando. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then uh, fucking face in the crowd just happened to have Andy Griffith giving the fucking performance of his life. Oh, that movie's so good. Yeah. My number one. It's going to sound weird, but you know me enough to understand why. Sullivan's Travels. Really? Yeah. Because no movie has ever pointed out why all of the overblown shit that we talk about is totally fucking irrelevant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I once wrote this woman wrote an art. Uh, that, that I, I, I follow on Twitter, wrote a thing out where she was like, hey, I want people to write a thing in saying, what good is art? You know, what, in your opinion, what good is art? And I wrote this really long thing where I was talking about, you know, 
well, there's this and that. And I go, okay, let's look at it this way. Art's an absolute good. Because let's look at Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill. Mm-hmm. It looks worse than cancer to me. It looks <laughs> horrifying. But I was talking to somebody I worked with years ago when it came out, this coach, older guy. He's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go home. Uh, probably, I probably might know who I'm talking about right now. It was Coach Brock. Okay. I'm go- I'll tell you what, I'm, f- I'm going to go see a movie. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go see Jack and Jill. That, 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 boy, that looks funny. And something hit me, and I was like, I'm not like that sounds awful to me, but and I wrote in there, imagine you got some guy who works at a job he hates. He doesn't get paid very much, he eats shit every day, has a wife, an unhappy marriage, a kid that hates him, and he comes home and he's like, I'm gonna drink a six pack of cheap domestic beer. I'm gonna watch this stupid movie, and for ninety minutes I'm gonna forget about everything I hate in life. Who the fuck are you to say that that's not art? To me, that is the definition of art. It gives him this beautiful escape, and for 90 minutes, he's able to laugh and forget about it all. And Sullivan's Travels is about a guy's journey to that point. Yeah. I don't want to make this silly, stupid stuff anymore. I want to make, oh, brother, where art thou? My favorite line from any movie. Poor people don't need to be told what it's like to be poor. They understand it quite well, and they quite resent the imposition yeah i love that i fucking love that yeah <coughs> to me uh, you, did i show that in your class no you did not uh, i watched that i watched it on my own yeah and it's one that uh, the, it's great the point of it gets forgotten so easily it really does but it's such a, a beautiful one because it really is you know shit that's why we do this we do this show and have to talk about film and have to you know in part to talk about film mostly to make each other laugh but the fact that we know somebody listens to it and gets anything out of it yeah that's fucking we we won Mm -hmm. we won the day (laughs) so i'm gonna come in with a uh movie by john cassavetes Called Love Streams. Really? I thought oh, no, no woman under the influence or I killing love it, a Chinese buff. Yeah. No, Love Streams. Really? His. So John Cassavetes was done. He was told he was going to die of cancer, and this is the movie he's tried to make. Oh wow! And he eventually didn't die of cancer. He died of cancer like six years later. Right, right. But this is his swan song. Uh-huh. It's his movie about love, what it means, what how to understand it. Nice. Very Cassavetes. He does a lot of really. Um, he does some comedy. He does some kind of a kind of expressionistic stuff. You don't right. see from Cassavetes that often. Uh huh. Yeah. Cassavetes always fascinated me. I love Cassavetes. Cassavetes yeah. has helped me as a filmmaker in a lot oh, of ways. Yeah. Well, because he is so fucking do it. Just get out there and get it done. Get the people that you know. You let somebody else direct the scene. Who cares? Get it done. Find what it is. And like, oh, he's so great with that. I mean, there's so many people. Like the fact that everyone who claims to like indie cinema doesn't can't quote Cassavetes chapter and verse because American independent cinema doesn't exist without John Cassavetes. Yeah, I mean, he was the guy who said, "Let's fucking do it." And it's funny, I still remember watching an episode of Entourage where his son had directed a thing, and this guy was like, oh, I'm not scared of, you know, Cassavetes, he's kind of scared. Nick Cassavetes, he's kind of scary. I'm like, yeah, I'd be scared of Nick Cassavetes, but not because his dad is John Cassavetes. 
because his mom is Gina Rollins, and he's got half Gina Rollins DNA in there, that means that dude could probably kill me. Yeah. Nick Cassavetes' movies are not as good as John Cassavetes. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> no, they're but not. The, the poor bastard didn't stand a chance, you know? But Cassavetes' movies are so different. When I saw yeah. Killing of Chinese Bookie, the first one, I right. reacted with genuine anger. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just, what, what the fuck is this? And no, I just I, want all of it in a bag. And I... And I absolutely love it. Now that I want all of that, that's a great scene. Yeah, it's a great scene. It yeah. makes sense for the character. It's, yeah, well, I, I, you don't. You just want them all thrown in a bag. Yeah, I don't want to just throw them all in a bag, and I'll take that with me. Yeah, because <laughs> oh yeah. you can't make the noise unwrapping the burgers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, and in fact, he's like, I don't want to have to fucking explain myself to you. Put the burgers in the bag and let me be on my way. Yeah. I have to go do something. Look how beautiful they are. What's wrong with tits? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And what I love about him is the cast of actors that he always... Because you got what? You got Ben Gazar. You got Ben Gazar. You got Seymour Cassell. Uh, Gina Rowland. Peter Falk. This group of amazing actors that he was like, no, I'm going to work with them all the time. And the fact that they were Working like... Working for basically nothing. Yeah. John wants me to do it. No problem. Yeah. No problem. And he took so many chances with stuff. Yeah. Uh, Cassavetes, I need to know. I need to get the, the Cassavetes box set. Yeah. I need to know him Love better. Streams is probably my third favorite movie. I love that really? movie so much. Wow. Yeah, I, love, I like it. Great. Love Streams. I will check that shit out at some yeah. point. Yeah. Cassavetes, that's where it's at. That's where yeah. it's at. Oh, man. Is, is there anything at this point that we really have left to say? About the Criterion Collection. <laughs> uh, more people should see them. More people really need to see them. And I mean, and there's stuff that we didn't even mention in here that I that easily could have made my that easily could have made my list. You know, the whole Hitchcock collection that's on there. Uh, you know, Spellbound that has the entire dream sequence designed by Salvador Dali. Uh, Z. I almost put Z. Yeah, on there. Z deserves to be on lists like this. The Battle of Algiers deserves to be on five easy pieces. You know, Charade, uh, Hopscotch. They're these incredible films. <coughs> and uh, there's... What is it? Um, Sancho the Bailiff is worth mentioning. So yeah, it's Get You on a Guitar. Yeah. I actually yeah. prefer a lot of um, Kenji Mitsuguchi's films over Kurosawa's in a lot of ways. Yeah, I need, I still need to look into that. So you, every time you mention Sancho the Bailiff, I'm like, I need to watch that shit, <laughs> don't I? Yeah. I need to watch that shit. All outstanding stuff. All really great. Look into the Criterion Collection. I mean, if you if you have a Costco membership, you can get Sullivan's Travels on Blu-ray for twenty dollars today. Really? Yeah. yeah, you can get the game. You can get Hoop Dreams. You can get all kinds of amazing shit cheap. Uh, um, Barnes and Noble does fifty percent off sales all the time. They're a little pricier. Criterion discs are a little pricey, pricier, but damn, they're worth it. Mm. They really are. Um, Especially if you want to see the special features about a movie. Oh, yeah. The sp- and they, do, do, they, Criterion basically pioneered the idea of special features. Yeah. They're the first ones who ever did it, and they still do it better than everyone else. Yeah. One of the movies that almost made me list was uh, Don't Look Now by Nicholas Rogue. Yeah. Some of the yeah. greatest editing ever. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, t- t- um, Grey Gardens, uh, Gimme Shelter, the Rolling Stones documentary about the nightmare at Altamont that actually shows the killing. Yeah. On it, I mean, there's so much great shit out there, and uh, you owe it to yourself to check it out. 
So we say that that about wraps us up here? I believe so, Mr. Dirks. All right. Well, uh, so until next time, uh, check us out on Facebook. You can also see our website, www.thefilmthugs.com. You can email us at thefilmthugs at gmail.com or thugquestions at gmail.com. That'll give us questions that we will not know until we answer them while recording the episode. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, we have sponsors over at www.thefilmthugs.com. You can call us at 512-666-RANT and leave a message that will be part of something on the show. You can also hit us up at uh, uh, the underscore film underscore thugs on Skype. So thank you for listening, and until next week, do something. (coughs) Laser discs, such a mistake.